Hello everyone and welcome to episode 211 of Korea Podcast. This episode is kind of a special episode for for multiple reasons. The first one is actually out of all the 211 episodes, I guess I did. This is like the, in terms of time, this is the latest I've ever recorded an episode. You know, it's like 12, 22 a.m. And yeah. And another special reason is you're going to learn, you know, in the podcast as well. But let me first quickly introduce our today's guest. Our today's, our today's guest is Mr. Tiago Kalafke. He's a 3D environment artist and currently director of Fort Art at 100 Thieves from California. And of course, before we go into the signature questions of the podcast, as always, let me quickly mention that in the four contact section of the captions, you can find all his links and, you know, the ID to his Instagram page, the links to his art station, personal website, Twitter, and YouTube channel. And, and, very important, and two very important links that we're going to talk about in detail in the episode is there's a link to a gumroad course which is called environment art mastery course which is a course that i personally bought and i'm going through it and also and not i said two important links the second link is a free sample of the set course i mentioned which you can go and check it out and see if you like it you know if you're in, if you want to become a 3d environment artist that's a, that course is a really great uh starting point to you know start basically honing your mindset when it comes to you know learning all and pick up all this multiple and different skills you need to learn throughout the way so of course we're going to as i said talk about it in details in the podcast as well but um yeah also this was the second reason this episode is is special as well because i'm interviewing my instructor and (laughs) all right so without further ado how are we doing today Hey, so yeah, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Rent Team, for having me here. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. I, I watched some of the other podcasts, and there's a lot of really cool artists, and it's very rare to find this kind of deeper conversation, you know, about games industry art in general. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, just chatting and, you know, and helping as much as I can. All right, so... With that being said, let's actually jump into the first question, which is like, at this point, the signature question of the podcast, which is, give us a little introduction on how we got into the world of visual arts and design. Basically, tell us the story of, you know, how was your journey of, you know, becoming an artist started? What prompted you to become an artist, you know, basically, initially? Sure. All right. So, yeah, that could be a pretty long story, so I'm going to make it short. But No, no worries. We have time, and people <laughs> grab their tea and coffee, I hope, and yeah, we're listening. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Brazil, and I was always uh, very passionate about games. Uh, you know, like it was just this thing that was so magical, you know, like so different than anything else that we had. Like, you know, you could sit down on the TV and you could control the character. You could go into all these different worlds and, you know, and that really felt like really magical to me. Like I thought it was some sort of black magic. I couldn't understand like how someone could create something like out of thin air and put in a cartridge. I'm like, like, could it, I, I couldn't imagine, like to me it was magic. You know, I, I didn't understand that they had a computer and they could like program and, you know, like put in a game. And so I... I remember in school, like someone, like teacher asked it, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, oh, I want to either be an astronaut or I want to make video games. And she said, oh, but to be astronaut, you, you, you really need to know mathematics. 
And I'm like, okay, so I'll do games. Because <laughs> she was kind of like making a point, like, how can you be an astronaut if you don't like mathematics? And I'm like, you're right. So I'm, I'm going to make games. So for like a, a long time, like uh, I didn't have a computer and, and I was trying to find a way to make games. And I would, you know, like, make like tracks for like a racing games, like on my cousin's computer, like all that kind of stuff. But then when I finally got my first computer, that's when I started to look for like how to make games. And I remember buying these magazines, you know, that come with like, it was like a game development special edition. They had some engines there. I don't remember like, like a torque engine, like that kind of stuff that's really hard to use. And I really didn't understand, you know, like anything about it. There were no tutorials. Uh, and then from there, I went to like IRC scripting. Like I was scripting like bots. And for the people that don't know, IRC was like a chat program, kind of like Discord. Discord was inspired by the way IRC works. And in IRC, you could program like bots. So I programmed some like RPG, like battle bots. Like you could join the channel and register and, you know, and like, play against each other. So I I would say that was my very first game development experience. And I just, I kept trying stuff like RPG Maker, like a bunch of that stuff. But then one day I was playing Counter-Strike and I I was camping, like I was pretty bad on (laughs) Counter-Strike. And I was camping on this corner and it was a map that took place in Brazil. uh, It was in Sao Paulo. And I remember camping and then I look up and I see like a banner and the banner had the, the, the name of the, the author of the map and the credits and then a, a link to his website. And I was like, shit, like if someone made this, like I can make myself too, you know? And that was like, became a huge obsession. And I went to his website and there was a, he wrote like a free book on how to get started with Counter-Strike mapping, like how to make a room uh, you know, like to the sky, like how to place walls and doors and lights, like all the basics, like the, the most basic things, you know, just to get started. And it, that's where it took me to where I am today. <laughs> like that from there, I just kept like working and learning and, you know, and expanding and making more. But it's just a, where I am now is just a continuation of that. You know, I just kept doing more and more of what I was doing there from day one. But that's pretty much how I started. Like I did a lot of level design for years, you know, like using other people's textures until I I realized that I liked the art more than the design. So then I started to focus more on making textures, making props and stuff. And but it was a long process. Like this was in 2001, I think I started making Counter-Strike maps. So like it's gonna be 22 years this year. I was four years old back then, Jesus. <laughs> and actually, I was very young, too. I was like 15, like 14. Like, I didn't know, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but it was fun, you know, it was, yeah. it was addicting. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I remember since I was like six, seven years old at that time. I don't know if it's Brazil the same, but in Iran, Iran has a huge, like, you know, culturally like you know game mm. net cafe culture you know oh yeah it was huge you know. in brazil oh really and that was another thing too that was I, i'm very happy that i lived through that time because there, thanks to counter-strike there was a like a boom in brazil 
like a economic boom. And it's like, it's not an exaggeration because like Counter-Strike got very popular, but no one had computers and like internet to play at home, right? Like everyone had a dial up, like it was impossible to play at home. Like very few people could do that. So these places, they spread out like wildfire, you know, like just like random people, they would like raise money and then start their own cyber cafe and you know, they, it would be filled with people. So it was an awesome time because I saw like a lot of people that they could have been doing something else, you know, but they chose to be entrepreneurs and they created, you know, their own space and, you know, and they each cafe had their own vibe, right? They had different games, you know, like some were like purely for Counter-Strike, like others, you could play like Need for Speed Underground or some, some other games, but it was like for like about four years that there was this economic boom. So that was awesome to see the power of games, so, you know, to affect people's lives in not just like an entertaining entertainment way, but also as a means of living, right? Instead of working some like boring job somewhere, you know, like they created their own space and, you know, and people were playing and they had competitions, like all this stuff was a really cool time. Yeah, and yeah, basically, as long as I could remember, Counter-Strike was a huge thing in Iran as well. Like, everyone, mm-hmm. like, since I was, like, six, seven years old, I've seen Counter-Strike, you know, <laughs> on people's, you know, screens. But the craziest thing is, I don't know if Brazil even had that before PCs, but Iran had that culture even when Sega Genesis. Oh, or, really? You know, those Nintendo, yeah. Oh, yeah, the place you would go to play games, right? Yeah, like... Yeah, oh, yeah. They, at the time, would, they would call it Kulub which is like, you know, a uh-huh. way to say club, I guess, game club or something. But in Farsi version, they just say kulub, I guess. I don't know. Oh, that's and, funny. So was it like a place with like the TVs and the games and then you could yeah. choose the game and, and you pay for like an hour? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was like and, one one real was one hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, in Turkey is the same, but uh, it's pretty similar to Iran in Turkey because they, even in Iran and Turkey, they both have game cafes. And I'm sure mm. in Brazil, the culture is strong but i'm kind of confused is usa and europe like you know first world europe are the countries that didn't have those like you know cultures uh, am i wrong for saying that so i the difference i, I would say is like in the united states like any middle class family they could afford right like a super nintendo for example and the games and in brazil like as in Iran, you know, like it was expensive because they were imported and not only they were imported, but there was also all the import fees, like the import duties. And, you know, like it was like crazy expensive, right? Like to buy any consoles. So these places were our only way pretty much, you know, to play uh, like different games. I remember sometimes I would go to the beach to spend the uh, summer vacation and there was this place like a, like it was a video rental store. And they also had a Nintendo 64s there. It was like just four Nintendo 64s. And I think it was also like one real per like hour. And I would go there every day and then we just play different games, you know? So then I played like Perfect Dark, for example. Like I never had a Nintendo 64, but then I would go there and play. So this was great to get exposed to very different games, you know? Like sometimes you don't want to buy the game, but you want to try it, right? You want to play for like an hour, two hours and at least you see different graphics, different music, you know? So I'm very happy that happened. But here, I think United States, 
is more of a individualistic culture. You know, I think people would feel gross to touch a keyboard that other people touch, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm like making this up, but you know, like it's a different culture. I think in Brazil, around these kind of countries, people live a little closer together. And the United States, it might be a California thing, right? Because I never lived anywhere else besides California. It's more like everyone is in their bubble, you know? People have their cars, they have their apartment, and they try to have as less contact with other people as possible. So I can't see here people going to like a cyber cafe to play with strangers, you know? And that was the thing in Brazil. Like you would go and I don't know, it was 20 people playing, right? And you go with three friends maybe. And there's like a group of three, a group of four, you know, it's kind of like playing soccer with like randoms, you know, like you, I'm sure this, this happening in Russia, right? Like you, you in some neighborhood and it, you're just like, Hey, let's play a game here. And you don't know if they're jerks or, you know, if they're like, uh, like assholes or, you know, like you just go and pray for the best. So I think that culture spilled into, uh, this cafe show. But I think in Poland, you know, like countries like this in, in Europe, I think they also had a pretty strong uh, culture like this. I, I would say Germany too. That's interesting. Mostly if you notice, uh, most countries that are, that weren't like economically well, they had that culture a lot. Like even in Southeast Asia, that culture is yeah. extremely apparently mm-hmm. strong, like in Philippines and Indonesia and those places. And yeah, exactly. As you said, like, you know, uh, like basically the place, those places are pretty tribalistic. It's just like clans of different people, like yeah. super competitive, like, you know, just doing 360 no scopes with snipers in Call of Duty. Yeah. I remember like, <laughs> and like some group playing Dota against another group. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of amazing. These type of stuff probably, it's kind of interesting to think about this, like in 78 years like mm-hmm. in internet or digital archaeologists are, are going to talk about this stuff like how accelerate to this whole process of like you know digital age was yeah when it comes to entertainment like you know there's it, it is actually right now a branch of like archaeology right now digital archaeology mm-hmm. and it's such a fascinating subject for me like i've seen this video of people trying to extract and find the source photos of textures of like you know old nintendo games oh like, i've know, seen that yeah. yeah they got from some cities yeah exactly you know, they, they, yeah no, that's super. That's super interesting because uh, that's something that I've been uh, thinking a lot lately. You know, I even got a there's a, a CRT TV here. Consider. Oh, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, those big ones. We yeah, used to have that. Yeah, yeah. with a uh, because I, I I never had a Sega Saturn. You know, when I was growing mm-hmm. up, and it was like super. Oh my god, I need this is magical thing that has all these weird games. You know, so I. I got one recently from Japan, from eBay, it was like super cheap. And I was playing on the LCD screen, the, the you know, the normal TV we have. Yeah. And I have this thing called the RetroTink that outputs the correct signal, but it just doesn't feel right. You know, like the those old TVs, they would kind of like blend the pixels together. The red, you know, white so- and yellow cables, you mean? Uh, the the way the screen projects the image because the it, it was a tube right so the image was projected it was like three flashlights let's say like the RGB and they were projected into a screen so they were not positioned exactly the same place right so there was always going to be some blending 
And when you play these older games on the CRT TV, you see how amazing they look because the developers took advantage of that effect, you know, like things would blend together. So even if you have just like four colors, the TV would give the impression that it's much more than that. But then when you play these games on the new TVs, they show the pixels the way they are, like naked. <laughs> and it's it looks blocky, it doesn't look good, you know. Um, but it's a very interesting uh, thing to think about, right? Because it feels like we abandoned a lot of good things about that time. And now there is this like retro, like, you know, like community, but they're trying to make things like how they were. But what if we make things as a continuation of where we stopped, right? Like instead of, oh, let's make this game feel like an old game. What if we make like, oh, what if those old games never stopped being made there? And, you know, and they kept like evolving and evolving and, and they got to something new. So, uh, yeah, this, I don't know, something I'm, I've been very passionate about, like to think you know, like how the internet accelerated this development so much, but then a lot of really good things they got left behind, and now we are stuck with a lot of crappy things. <laughs> yeah, and especially now with this rise of like AI uh, generation, you know, like it's a double-edged sword, right? It's a very powerful tool, but but then it's gonna generate even more generic stuff, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, I, about that, that, oh, that's such a headache of a topic on its own, but I mm -hmm. recently saw a comment on a YouTube video that really resonated with this whole, with me personally about this whole thing. It was like, I think a lot of utopia, like people who believed in like in a bright and better future, mm -hmm. they would, you know, theorize that we're going to, you know, automate every dull task so we can in the future just do all the creative jobs so all the jobs in the future are going to be creative but instead right now what's happening is they're taking away the creative jobs so we can focus on the dull <laughs> tasks like what yeah it's a oh that's a that's a good point right it's a yeah interesting also i think another like you said it's a utopia right like i really believe to make something you need challenge like to make something good, you need to go through the dull stages, you know, like, like imagine like a master painter, you know, if he, at some point, I'm sure it would get pretty fucking boring, right? But then it feels like, oh, I'm not going to do this because this is boring. I'm going to automate, you know, like they wouldn't get to those masterpieces. So I think that's also like a little illusion that, oh, you know, like the software is, is going to remove all the pain and I'm going to have just the pleasure. And okay, I don't think you're going to get that pleasure, you know, if you don't have some pain. Mm, yeah, I, I get what you mean. And um, not just that, like, there's so many concerning questions about this whole issue, but... Mm -hmm. the, like, it's very I, tricky. To be honest, I'm personally... It might sound weird, but I'm kind of optimistic because mm -hmm. I think, you know, like something that's something that's true in substance can't really last for a long time. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, I mean, if you just look at how the culture and like, you know, AI art and, you know, just NFTs mm -hmm. and all of that, the root of it is just capitalism, all right? And no, mm -hmm. I'm not going, I'm not saying this to go on like political rants or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the thing is, you know, this whole industry, you know, the reason, for example, the indie games are so successful sometimes against triple <laughs> games which mostly are led by the investors and you know capitalistic mm -hmm. you know intentions is because the, it has i don't have to explain but it has a soul in a product yeah in the art 
Yeah, in... that's what resonates with people, right? Exactly. It's, it's when you're watching a movie and you're like, you connect with the director or with the actors, with the cinematographer or whatever, right? Yeah, and um, I don't think that AR art will like it. It's going maybe it's going to be like you know a tool mm. that might you know help give iterative ideas to the concept mm. artists or whatever you know. And there's a lot of you know issues about that as well. But in the end, I highly doubt that it will you know take place of a concept artist. To be honest, well, I think it will from the ones that are very you know like you you need to have a differentiation. Right. If you're yeah. just making generic things that the AI can create, you're going to lose a lot of field. Right. Because then a lot of potential clients are going to be like, okay, why am I going to pay this if I can get like 95% of the result for free with this AI tool? So I think the good thing about this is, is really going to force people to be more creative, to be more unique. You know, I think that's what's going to be important in this age of AI now because it's AI is making it much easier for people to make stuff. And that's good. You know, like more people can make things. And because of that, it saturates the market in a way, right? So you really have to stand out to, to be able to, you know, like have a successful career and stuff. And that's a really good point. Yeah. And also like the, negative side of this is let's say a lot of entry-level jobs you know they might be uh you know just removed maybe not today not tomorrow but who knows five ten years from now right yeah but the one that scares me sorry sorry sorry. you were saying no just gonna say so that's something to keep in mind you know like we can't stop technology there is you know like we can scream and of course we have to demand that it's used in an ethical way, right? Like the way they're doing now is they're just stealing art from everyone and that 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 that's very shitty. That needs to stop. But the technology is here and it's gonna be here, you know, and it's just gonna evolve. So we 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 have to work in this new environment, you know, like we have to adapt. Because that's what evolution is, right? Like if you don't adapt, you stay behind. Yeah, exactly. And um, I genuinely think, you know, someone, an artist who's been, you know, has been doing the arts, you know, or discipline that they've been practicing yet for a while, you know, mm-hmm. they probably have developed a sense of self to a little, even a little bit of extent. So if mm-hmm. you can, if that person practices and tries to amplify that and try to like leverage, let's say AI mm-hmm. is inevitably in everything, then mm-hmm. at that point can, you know, leverage AI to its benefit, you know? And yeah. can definitely stand up because, as you said, anyone can use AI. But who? The, it's like, like in video games, it's like having mm-hmm. a high tier weapon, but <laughs> your character is low. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you don't know how to use the tool, you know it's not gonna make good work. You're just gonna make generic shit that anyone can do. So okay, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. Exactly. And um, all right. This so really reminds me. Just so before we move on from this topic, when. I think there's a lot of parallels to this, to what happened when Substance Designer came into the scene. Because, for me personally, because uh, there was uh, like the time that I was like on Overwatch and I really nailed the art style. And the thing with that art style is because it, it was a lot of things were handmade. 
You know, like that's where a lot of the beauty come from. It's like he going to Photoshop and like painting the normal maps, you know, like painting the textures by hand. And then Substance Designer came and I was like, there's no way that this tool can replace this because I'm making things by hand. And for a long time, I just dismissed it, Substance Designer. I was like, all the examples I saw, they looked like shit, you know, in the beginning. They were super noisy. They all look the same. <laughs> and I was like, I, I ignored the program for a long time. And then I started to use it once, twice, and like didn't connect. But then at some point, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn this for real, you know? And like now I can create what I used to create in like a fraction of the time. And it gets me like 80% there. So a lot of those things that I thought were unique because I was making by hand, I can get very close results in Substance Designer, like indistinguishable, you know, for, for a user is indistinguishable. So I think with the eyes the same now, there is sometimes when some, something new comes, there is a resistance. You're like, oh, this is going to replace me, you know, like this is bad, this is this and that. But then at some point you're like, okay, let's see how we can use this. And uh, I kind of see some parallels, you know, from this happened in the past with the AI. My first instincts when I saw this AI generation stuff, I was like, oh, this looks bad. It looks generic. And I still think it doesn't look good because I can tell right away when it's AI, right? They all, always have the same lighting, the same faces, you know, like looks very generic. But this is just the first iteration of the tool. So if we learn how to use it, you know, in a proper way, I think... It's going to allow people to make really amazing things. Yeah, definitely. And um, all right. So actually, the next question is also interesting as well. So you kind of mentioned how you had your start, you know, when it came to, you know, starting art. But, you know, I, I was just wondering, you know, were you originally, you know, when you were like, you know, teenager or maybe you were finishing high school and wanted to go mm -hmm. to university or at the time because of the pressure of society or maybe family, did you have any other trajectory of you know career in mind you know maybe you wanted to pursue something else or from the get-go it was like pretty clear and smooth and you went to art routes or did you even go to college for that or how did that went by yeah so when i was making this counter-strike maps i didn't have support at all you know like people didn't understand they thought it was silly <laughs> you know my 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 parents sometimes they would say like oh you're wasting your time you know like other people are getting real jobs and you're wasting your time there. So I didn't have support in that sense, but I, I always started like this. I would rather do what I love and maybe make less than do what I don't love and make a lot of money, you know, because the alternative there was like, Oh, go work for the government. You know, that's what smart people do in Brazil. They take this test to go work for the government because then it's a stable job. They're going to get a pension, you know, when they retire, the salary is good. And it's like, oh, you don't even have to work much, you know, like you just chill all day there. And and this to me sounded like, like a nightmare, you know, sounded like yeah, hell. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, why would I do that with my life? You know, like I would rather make these games and, and live on like uh, instant noodles, you know, than, <laughs> than, than do that. So I had the goal to to work with games but i didn't know how and in brazil the industry was very small so i was just like in the mode that look i'm just gonna make stuff you know like i'm not gonna worry about that and i know that one day i'm gonna have my chance so i just kept doing this 
And um, then at some point when I finished high school, I wanted to go to New York and stay with my uncle there for like six months and just, you know, like learn English and kind of figure out my life, right? We, we, I think we all have to have this moment, you know, like when we go from teenage to adulthood, you know, like we need to find ourselves. We need to go to another country, you know, like we need to do something like this, right? We can't stay in the comfort of home. At least that's what I believe for myself. But of course, everyone is a different situation. Uh, so going back, so I was trying to go to New York and I was dead set on going to New York, you know, like I was dreaming about this every night and I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome because I wanted to see the buildings and, you know, and I knew it would influence me, influence me as an artist. But then I, I went to the consulate to get the visa and they refused. And it was, it was like one of the biggest, like, like disappointments in my life, you know, like I created so much expectations. I was so sure I was going to go. I saved money, you know, like I had a really bad job at the time. Like, I mean, like salary was tiny and I was still able to save. And, uh, and that happened. So I was kind of lost. I didn't know what to do. And my aunt, she invited me to go stay with her. So she was like, oh, you're going to stay six months in New York? Come stay here with me in the northeastern of Brazil. And that was an amazing time because so she had a pretty good house. There was a pool. The weather was very similar to California, you know. So I had a lot of time to like, you know, like just be on my good self, like just I would spend all day like playing games, watching TV, and then work on maps at night, you know, until like 6 a.m. Like just out of pleasure. And when I was there, I saw people I knew, they were getting jobs in the industry. And I was like, okay, I can get this too. And then I saw like, uh, I remember Ubisoft Shanghai, they were hiring. And I'm like, I can get a job at Ubisoft Shanghai, you know, like there's, I can, I can get a job. But that's when I really started to believe that I could get a job. Uh, and then some years after that, uh, Ubisoft started a studio in Brazil, and that's when I got my first job. It's like the the chance came; I was ready for the chance. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty pretty interesting story. Um, because I really also agree with you on the fact that you know it's important, especially for teenagers. You know, like mm-hmm. you know that transition between teenage to adulthood, like during those times, to kind of be in a like alien environment for a while yeah be in your mind you know like away from social media away from what others tell you to do like yeah really go inside and listen to your voice like what you want like what life they want to build yeah because usually most people really don't like to do that and most people don't have those experiences Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of loneliness and being alone with their thoughts but Mm -hmm. basically what you're trying to say is just you know be in a place where your identity doesn't matter what i mean by that is that and and what i think and you're also meaning by that is just to mm-hmm. be a place where you're completely like you know no one i mean of course you can go to mm-hmm. a fam- family member or something but just as much as possible be alone mm-hmm. with your own thoughts yeah with your internalized thoughts away because, from your usual environment exactly because your brain um like you know you actually start to hear the thoughts that you've you've been distracting yourself unintentionally yeah. you know, different stuff and um one of the things that actually i could you know i benefited a lot 
and which I necessarily don't recommend this actually to because <laughs> I've been to the extreme side of it. Mm -hmm. I, oh yeah, like how I, I've kind of been living completely alone by myself, you know, for four years now. Mm. So yeah, sometimes you know it gets lonely and sad, you know. But you have your mm. online friends. But I, I genuinely believe it helped me to find a, a lot of the directions of my life. Yeah, you know, just yeah, for sure. Learned about myself a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that was a benefit of it. But yeah, being alone, having periods that you're alone by yourself is really beneficial. And I know it's going to be comfortable. It's it is going to be uh, uncomfortable. Sorry. Yeah. For people who've never experienced it, because of course it's going to be so fun to always have your friends around and mm -hmm. have you know a partner around or have your family around. It's easy, right? It's comfortable. It's yeah. familiar. Yeah, you need to learn the skill of like you know having that fire inside of you, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what's going to push you when no one's there. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And because what happens when you do that, I found out is you strengthen your core, your foundation. You know, like you become stronger just by being by yourself, right? Like you start to appreciate things that you didn't appreciate before that you had. And also you start to notice the things that you thought were important, like they, they had zero importance. You know, I think when we live too long in a family environment, like every family is crazy in their own way, right? Like you get some people together for a long time, they go crazy. Like looking from the outside, like we, you can see this in couples that are together for a long time. They, they have some really crazy habits, right? But makes sense in their worlds. But from the outside, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> That's weird. Uh, so I think when you go into this space, you can you know, like figure this out, but also it's, it, people have very different personalities, right? Some people, they're going to be totally fine being by themselves for a long time, you know? So it's hard to say, right? Like it's a one size fits all, but I think the point's more the experience, you know? So traveling, even if it's just for a month, you know, like going to another country, experiencing other cultures, like, I think this is essential, you know, everyone I know, that did this, they became much greater after doing it. I don't know anyone that did this and they regress it after. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, one of those things actually, when it's like, especially traveling, it's, a, it's such a character building, you know, experience because you <laughs> finally get out of your bubble and meet new people and realize, hey, like, you know, especially you hear this a lot, you know, uh, from Americans, especially in YouTube comment section of different videos or places on social mm -hmm. media that um, I guess it's like the effect of Hollywood that treats, you know, Americans as the main characters of the world yeah. and everyone else are just, you know, side characters and NPCs. But when they travel and realize, <laughs> oh my God, there's a whole huge world out there. The news has yeah. been telling, telling us there's different castles. things. <laughs> exactly. And they're like 2,000 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, but even on it, like a, a smaller scale i think that also applies like for example mm -hmm. i'm sure you know if uh, i don't know you, you haven't i i'm i'm not i don't know about you but uh, have you like traveled most places in brazil for example actually no <laughs> exactly. i travel much more outside brazil than in brazil so yeah i'm sure even if you like you know take i don't know a car with a couple of your friends and start you know traveling you mm -hmm. actually find and discover a lot of interesting stuff as well i'm oh, sure for sure it's just I think when I lived there, I think my mind was very small. Right after I moved out, my mind expanded and I can do more stuff now. Like I'm interested about other types of stuff, you know, like I just went uh, to Brazil uh, 
two months ago and it was magical you know so i took my uh, fiance there and she's from moldova so it's a very different country in terms of weather and stuff you know like but when we were talking there's a lot of similarities you know like with the way she was raised and stuff so that was her first time there too so that was a pretty magical experience it's like we were waking up with the the birds singing outside and then you go in outside and it's like this beautiful sunset and this like araras like flying you know like this beautiful birds and they're super loud and i'm like whoa this this looks like a dream, you know, like it's so colorful. It's so alive, like capybaras. And I'm like, I used to live here and I was like, this place sucks. <laughs> you know, I couldn't see that before. Right. So uh, that's why when you travel, you expand your mind, you know, and then you can appreciate those simple things that were there before. And you just took them for granted. Or you thought they were annoying even, you know, like, oh, these araras are loud, you know, like, <laughs> but now like, I just feel so good to see them. Yeah, exactly. Moldova is the country in Eastern Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting when like cultures so far apart, you know, have so many similarities. Like, yeah, you know, because I, I think that. it's the same way we're talking about uh, Iran too, right? Like, and yeah. Brazil. Abaddon. Abaddon yeah. Brazil today. <laughs> My <laughs> Iranian followers will know that. Yeah, like for the listeners to know, like we were talking about before, I was saying like how, uh, I don't know, I love Iranians, like everyone I met was super nice and they really feel like Brazilians, you know, like in a way that they're very open. In a sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a very different culture, but but then you start talking like, oh yeah, we had the cyber cafes, we, we play soccer on the streets and, you know, like the similarities are much bigger than the differences. Yeah. And actually... The crazy thing is, if I'm not, no, no, that I'm just messing up a story about something else. I, I thought for a second that the founders of, like you know, Brazil were initially Scottish, but then I realized no, I'm messing that up with the origin story mm. of the Gracie family, like that we talked about before the podcast. Oh, that could be, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, the the earliest, the first Gracie that came, that was actually, I think, a Scottish gentleman or something from mm-hmm. the stories I saw on YouTube that came to um, Rio de Janeiro. And that's mm-hmm. when the lineage, you know, led to the legendary Grace. And so but, people know Grace, you're talking about Jiu-Jitsu family, yeah. right? Yeah, the, 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 the family that created Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, interesting stuff like that. Every culture has this, like, you know, bits and pieces of, of mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, it's it's like, here's the thing. Let me explain it this way. It's like, I sometimes when I look at the history of, you know, people around the world, I feel like an excited alien reading about humans, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that too. You know, and yeah, it's it's one of those things. Every culture has like an interesting trivia and facts about it. And mm. yeah, traveling also opens your eyes to a lot of those things as well. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, travel people if you can. Yeah. To another Especially city. Especially for environment artists, you know, like you're going to yeah. see different textures, different lightings, different architecture. Like I remember because I, I went to design school uh, for a year and a half and then I got the job at Ubisoft and then I quit. I didn't finish. But it was... The most important thing that I learned there, I actually learned on the first day. <laughs> uh, so the teacher was talking about, like, to be a good designer, you know, a unique designer, you need to build your library. And it doesn't mean just the books you have, 
but also the visual library you build in your head, you know, like what kind of architecture you like, what kind of artists do you like, you know, and then you study those styles, you know, you study those fields and then you, you build your library, you become richer, right? Like if you study about, let's say like, uh, for example, when I was working on the ROM map in Overwatch, I got deep into this because I'm crazy passionate about ROM. It's like one of my favorite like topics in life. I can talk about this for years. And uh, I was like, I, I wanted to get that architecture like right. I wanted to use the same rules. I wanted to understand the rules, you know, that the ancient builders used to build the temples and stuff. And I found this book from Vitruvius, I think he's called. And it's basically the manual of how to is I think it's the one of the few books that survived from that time and then I got deep into that you know like about proportions like spacing and you know so that added to my library you know so if you're listening to this right now like try to expand your library you know don't do just like everyone like look I have nothing against this I'm just gonna make fun but it's like everyone makes a Ghibli scene now and they all choose the same concept, you know, and, and that's cool because it looks pretty, it looks beautiful, right? It's safe. But what if you look for other inspirations to, you know, like to stand out, like build a different library, you know, like, because we were just talking about this AI, right? Like how it flattens the field, you know, like how everyone can do the same. So if you're doing stuff that is too close to what other people are doing, you're going to be replaced. Right, but what are the unique things about your life, about your travels, about your place that no one else is looking at? I think that's where the exactly, yeah. And yeah, you're totally right. I absolutely agree. And um, God, like you know, not just that. Even try to like one of the things about like it's kind of ties to the previous subject we talked about, you know, one of the things about having solitude and being alone time by yourself mm -hmm. is the more you're alone with yourself, like, you know, and you have your journal, you write your thoughts and mm -hmm. everything, the more you know yourself, the better you have a sense of identity and the oh, better sense of identity you have, the better, mm -hmm. you know, what exactly you are and the better you know that, the better you can express yourself, your true self. Uh, 100%, yeah. And I love it how can, you put it reflect on your art and just anything in cooking and music and then people are going to connect to you you know because they can feel the like the vulnerability they can feel your personality there yeah it's like a thing like a, a skill tree you can unlock in life but you have to you mm -hmm. know, get those skill xp points you know through being alone and finding yourself yeah like, it can affect everything it can affect your fight style if you're a martial artist it could affect your mm -hmm. working out it could how you work out it could affect your um, everything you know and mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing if you can find it because if you truly find it you can easily stand out in a sea of like you know people who are doing the same thing as you mm -hmm. said like you know like the the example you mentioned like the Ghibli style anime thing which is a uh -huh. pretty thing it's, it's a nice thing but um, well, it's amazing look I'm not shaming this at all because I know, when I, know. I was starting I was just copying everyone like I didn't have any originality at all like for years I was just copying other mappers, even copying jokes, you know, that they would put in their maps. I would copy the same joke, like no originality, you know, that's part of the process. It was just an example. Uh, one, one thing that I think we should mention too is since we were talking about, you know, like 
or like being lonely and you know find yourself and stuff there's a another part of that that we should take in consideration too which is people's individuals uh, individual situations you know sometimes you can be in a really bad place in your life like in terms of health in terms of you know like psychologically or you know like something bad happened to you and stuff and like we if you are in that situation you have to work through that first you know like a uh, health sleep like if we do we, we if we do the fundamentals first like everything else is gonna fall into place right but if if you're feeling depressed you know like if you're having like fast food every day like if you're not nourishing your body if you're not sleeping well if you're living like in negative thoughts like if you go by yourself you know like might not be the best idea right like first we need to to be in a good not perfect but like you know like a feel like healthy and like okay i can take the challenge you know like i th- i really believe we should always be getting stronger make an effort to get stronger right like physically mentally spiritually but it's a process and there will be times where we are going to feel like really down and really bad and it's totally okay but we just have we have to come out of those situations right like we have to make an effort to come out yeah definitely and uh, that is an extremely important point but the thing is i think for a lot of people they don't really get to have the luxury of having even the basic mm-hmm. basic most yeah. basic form of stability in their lives to work on that so personally from my personal experience i'm only 25 years old i'm not a super experienced person i know mm-hmm. like you know i'm not trying to act like i am but from my experience um the thing that's really helped me push forward is that sure a lot of things are unstable sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of things happened in the past and there's sure a lot of things are uncertain but what is certain is that if i just move positive steps towards for example the skill i want to get a mm-hmm. job in as like for example environment art in this case the sooner I can get to that point of independence and freedom and I can free myself from a lot of fear yes. restraints I have. Oh, uh, yeah, I love because this. I'm sure like everyone, uh, I mean, I'm not alone. I mean, even maybe you at some extent, like I'm personally, you know, of course, you know, dealing with some health issues as well and just mental issues mm-hmm. at the same time, but the, and also my immigration issue, issues in, in the air, but from not going too much into that, mm-hmm. but basically what's keeping me like, you know, motivated, I guess, to get up and get my coffee and, get to you know watching videos mm. and tutorials and practicing is the fact that all right so like regardless of whatever happens i don't You're know what's happened but 100 percent, i know i can get better and get to yes. that point like you know if you can just you know deduce and like you know cognitively uh i this is what i do my brain does mm. like everything is just deduced into blocks blocks of anything mm. like for example if you want to get a good paying like you know environment art job mm. it's let's say it's like 5,000 blocks of work, units of work. Mm-hmm. And maybe each of those units is three hours. Or and another way I do that, I mm-hmm. try to numerically classify things. Like, for example, all right, if I want to, instead of saying, oh, when I get good at art, I'm just going to focus on doing 100, for example, projects of, like, you know, this, like 50 mm-hmm. environment pieces, like, you know, 30 assets. If I want to get good at the pipeline, I'm mm-hmm. going to do, all right, I, in this week, I need to do at least 15, like, you know, assets just for the sake of, like, getting yeah. into the pipeline. So when you just focus on the numbers, you kind of release yourself mentally from a lot of, like, you know, mm-hmm. 
weird thoughts that might, you know, float around, you know? So you, you just you, focus on that. So you're saying you shift your focus towards the goal. Yeah. Right. In terms of numbers. So you first, mm -hmm. you familiarize yourself with the system you're dealing with. Like, this, this was just an example, for example. Mm -hmm. And maybe you want to get good, understand PBR pipeline better. So you just, you know, work on the, you know, textures, the texture part, you know, maybe mm -hmm. texture basic, like, you know, assets that you could do, you know, like maybe a hard surface crate that this part is like in a glossy, this part has like a, a little bit of fluid in it. So you just, you know, mm -hmm. focus on that. So, you know, this place needs, then you export that, like, you know, different maps of it and you can, you know, get different exports. So you kind of do that with a multiple set of things yeah. and you get a better understanding of that as an exercise, for example. Yeah, it's like we were saying about the library, right? Like you're building a library of skills. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sorry for a second. I need to check if my neighbor was thumping on the wall, but uh, <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> and oh God. So yeah, basically this has really helped me to be honest, to even work during the days that I had mm -hmm. zero mood to work on. Yeah. Like, you know, even like on, but I also made the system for myself that even on my lowest days, I have a, a pure file on my uh, desktop and also Blender mm -hmm. file, which whenever I feel lazy, I would just open these two and I would oh, just, that's cool. I have an asset library of so many random stuff on there, you know, because yeah. when I'm bored and I want to at least do something, I just start, you know, making 3D oh, sketches and really models. Cool. Yeah, at least I like do something, you know. And oh, I love what you're saying. It's like you. I think the important thing is you created a process that works for you, and yeah. I think that's the whole point that over, what you're talking about. You know, like um, I think over time I found the process that works really well for me, like through trial and error, right? Through mm -hmm. an adjustment, like learning new things. But what works for me. You know, it's not going to work for everyone, you know, like what works for you, like how you're talking about the numbers and stuff. And I'm like, the moment I do that, I don't make progress. Like the moment I start like a timetable with like, oh, I'm going to use four hours for this, three hours for that. I, it, I don't know. I, it doesn't work for me. Like I tried many times uh, and I see like it, with, for a lot of people, it works amazing. And but I think the point is like, we have to find what works for us, right? Like how we learn, like how we get better. And um, I would like to recommend a book too that was very important for me that is, it's called Mastery by uh, Robert uh, Greene. And so this book, he broke down like how all the masters in history, like the, the big masters, like how how did they get there? You know, like what, what was the process? And he picked up the patterns. So you it, like to summarize, like there's like three different stages when you're learning something like first stage, you are an apprentice and your goal is just to learn. It's not to make, it's just to absorb information. So for example, like recently I needed to learn, I wanted to learn blueprints in a real scripting. And this is something that I tried a few times and, you know, like for like YouTube videos and I couldn't do it, it was boring. Like I just, I would give up there for like two or three days. Uh, but then I found this course on a Udemy that was like just the language. It's not a like how to make a game. It's not how to make a shooter. It's like, okay, here's how, here's what Blueprint is. And it's, each video is like 10, 15 minutes. So I went into that with the apprentice mindset which is just to like, like you go to school and you take a class, 
right? You're apprentice. You're not trying to make it in that stage. You know, you're not trying to like um, be a master, right? You're like, you know that you're learning. So when you know that, you you shift your brain to this mode, like, look, I'm just learning now. Okay, I'm watching. So after you get some knowledge, you become, the you go to the next stage, which is, oh, I forgot the name now, but it's like apprentice. And then this is like when you can do the skill, but you're not a master yet. Adept? Adept, yes. I'm using, I know this because of Skyrim, because in Skyrim, I don't know if you played that game. It yeah, has right? you know, they have this is Adept, uh, expert, yeah, master. Perfect, right? And when you're adept, it's like you know how to make stuff already, but you're not a master, right? Like you need to flesh out your process, you need to learn new things. So in this stage, it pays off to make a lot of different projects, right? And then you learn from them. And you know that, like, look, I'm not a master, you know, uh, I'm learning, right? You, you, the point is to get better each time. And then after do this a long time, you get to what we call like mastering, like mastering a skill. And when you're in that level, you can really focus on like, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to make something like, you know, you know how to do stuff and you know the process, you know it's gonna be hard. You know the, the the parts of the process you have difficulty. You know, like you know the, the parts, the process you're you're good. But you see, like in three different stages, you 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 take a different approach. So if you're an apprentice, like be an apprentice, learn. And this can also be applied when you start a new job. Always go with the beginner's mindset, you know? Learn, learn, learn. Like a lot of people make the mistake of like on the first day they want to show how amazing they are and uh, they want to kick ass and make amazing stuff and like usually people don't react so well to that you know people react better when someone comes with like a learning mindset and you know and okay let me learn how you make stuff how the team works let me learn the tools right like you need to know this first before you can do like amazing things. So now I apply this to new every new program I learned. Every new program I learn, I'm, I'm, I'm a noob, you know, and I go with this mindset. And even when I'm, when I'm like, okay, I know this program well, I'm still a noob. I'm still like, there's always more to learn. You can never lose the learning mode. I don't think we get to a point where we are like, oh, you know, like now I'm a master and I can just like do like this and do everything. <laughs> I think it's a... Uh, and I know this because I watched this masterclass with a uh, Frank Gary is one of the like biggest like architects in the world, and he's like really old and he worked on all kinds of projects, right? And his masterclass is amazing. Like I really love because it's all about his creative process, and he said something that like blew my mind. He was like, "I don't believe in create creative block." Because I'm always blocked <laughs> and my job is to unblock my creativity, you know? So coming from this guy who's like 93 years old that already made like hundreds of buildings, like he's saying that every new building he's blocked, you know, every new building he's unblocking. So this kind of proves like this point of what I'm saying. Like, I think we, we try to, we want to be like, oh, one day is going to be easy. I don't think it's ever going to be easy. There's always a challenge. There's always a process. 
Yeah, definitely. But I think one of the main obstacles to the points you're trying to make is to in this day and age is social media. Everyone yeah. wants to quickly because listen, I know mm-hmm. this very well because I used to be victim of that. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to quickly make an oh, artwork yeah. in my next project so I can you know get mm-hmm. those sweet likes and you know yeah, the popularity and affirmation and positive force from others. But then I realized, wait, what am I doing? After a while, it's like, a distraction, you know. Yeah. If you can get away from that distraction and focus on the craft, like you're gonna get the likes naturally, you know. <laughs> you don't have to chase them because you're gonna make stuff that's so cool that people are gonna share. No, yeah, but after a while, you know, when you actually start to take notice of this mm-hmm. these thoughts in your own head, you kind of start, you know, developing new thought patterns. Like for me, for example, I'm kind of like, it's been around two years or a year and a half. I just use my Instagram as literally like an art journal app for myself. I don't use Instagram mm-hmm. as the Instagram app. I change mm-hmm. the way I use it. It's like an art journal app. So it doesn't matter how many likes yeah. or anything I get. It's just my documenting my own that's journal. That's cool, yeah. And I think that's actually like when you start to do that, sure, maybe a lot of people don't resonate with that. Maybe a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like that. But people who stay and like, you know, they like for what you actually express. So yeah, there's that no, aspect I, I of it as well. You get more information too, right? Like you, I think if you're always chasing the perfect like, you're going to put yourself in a box. Mm -hmm. You're going to be making the same thing over and over and over and over, and you're going to get the same results over and over and over, you know? And I think sometimes we need to take a risk. Like with this tutorial, it was a huge risk I took, right? Because I I was like, okay, I I don't know if people are going to like this. I don't know if it's watchable, right? Like I recorded this. I don't know if my method is boring or, you know, like, or if it's too chaotic, like a lot of things could go wrong, but it's like, you have to put yourself in that situation. Like where you, you know, just challenging yourself, but consciously, right? Not reckless. Like you, you know what you're doing, you know, you're, you're challenging. Yeah, definitely. And actually, let me ask you one question. And after that, we can move towards to talk about a pot the I said podcast for a second. Jesus, my brain is just <laughs> hanging uh, to talk about a course. Um, so actually, of course, in the course, you kind of explain everything, you know, but for a lot of people who probably haven't purchased a course or anything, mm-hmm. my question right now to you is how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a project or a base? What basically what is the structure mm-hmm. of your pipeline looks like? out of all the trials and errors you've, you know, had throughout the years? That's a very good question. Um, I, I, I would say that I split this in two parts. Like one part is the software technical tool, the tooling part. And the other part is the idea abstract imagination part. And I think they go hand in hand and the goal for every project that I have is that my tools are simple and familiar enough that I can just flow in terms of imagination. Like if you're struggling with the tools, if you're like working really slow and you have to, to think like, Oh, how do I extrude? Like, Oh, how do I change the wireframe mode? You know, like that means you need to get more familiar with the tool. Don't waste your time trying to make something new, you know? like trying to make an amazing environment, just learn the tool, like learn the tool. So usually that's what I do when I start a new project is setting up the tools. Like, can I export the models quick? Is it one click, you know, to put in the engine? Do I have the naming conventions right? Because then once I figure that out, 
I can really focus on the idea because otherwise, if the tool is a drag, you know, if you're taking a lot of time to export things to, you know, like if your process is too convoluted, you're going to use your brain power in that and you're not going to have any brain power for imagination for, you know, like really becoming like one with the environment. So usually my process like this, first, I understand the tools and this takes some exploration, you know, like, so I'm just like screwing around with the tools and exporting, like making stuff, you know, like not thinking too much, but, you know, like getting a good feel for, for the tools. And then once I know what I'm doing, I'm like, okay, then I really focus on the idea. Like what's the idea? And then I, uh, I start with like doing like reference gathering, right? Like all this stuff, like sketches, uh, visualization. I go into a dark place and I visualize the areas, you know, I visualize how they're going to be. I visualize the composition. I create the environment in my mind first. You know, because then when I actually sit down to work, I know what I'm doing. You know, the tool is not going to be a problem and I know the idea. So it's like executing. So I like to break up my process like this. And that's how I show how people can do this in the course too. The first few chapters, they're all about this. Like how you can get the ideas flowing quicker, you know, like, and then at some point you're like, okay, now I'm going to make this real. You have your block out, you have your art block out. And then you spend the time making the amazing textures, making the amazing lighting. But that's like the second half of the process. But of course, that's what works for me, right? Like other artists, they found other ways. So my point is like, if you watch the tutorial, like take the things that apply to you and adapt to your situation, right? Like you're going to make different types of environments. You need to use different tools, but the process, you know, is still kind of the same. Yeah, and actually, you mentioned a really good point. I when you said first get familiar with the tool enough so you can mm-hmm. get in the flow without any interruption. With you know, of course, a lot there will be interruptions even like yeah, where we don't really you always have some blocks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for me personally, I have a, another way. For me, is just get good at this tool as long as you can just have your playlist playing on a Spotify and you can just go in the flow of working. Okay, because I like that. Yeah. If Mm-hmm. If you're not good enough, you have to keep pausing. You have to open up YouTube. You have yeah. to search yeah. <laughs> every single problem. I love this. Uh, yeah, it's funny because in the first chapter in the tutorial, I'm like showing people how to export to Unreal easily, how to make a tileable in Substance, but like a really crappy tileable. But the point is, this is how you export textures. That's how you model and unwrap a, a, a building. That's how you export. That's how you re-import in the editor, you know, and I build something random, like no team, just, you know, like windows, roofs, whatever, you know, and if you can do that, and then you can go to the next step, right? Because then you, at least the basics you got to cover, you know how to model, you know how to unwrap, you know how to light. So if you're learning now, that's my biggest recommendation, like accept that you're a beginner and accept that it's going to take work and put the work, you know, like learn, watch tutorials and do especially like practice makes it perfect, right? Yeah, definitely. And of course, quickly before we go into the, you know, talk about a course more in details, I need to quickly give a PSA. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, about 30, 40 minutes before I sent you the link to the call, I got an exciting email 
Oh, yeah? Someone messaged me on our station that, hey, we liked your stuff on your portfolio. We want you for a job. And I was like, hmm. Like, I don't consider myself a pessimistic person, but I was like, hmm. you know, I was like, what the hell? Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like checked the profile was empty had no picture and didn't uh, have any info and they said oh we like our company really inter- we are interested to hiring you in our company we have these positions and they have a link for you to look at their projects people listen uh, if a profile is doesn't have any information don't click on it and of course i didn't those are usually uh, scammers so yeah oh, okay yeah, like just don't click on links you don't know. Like with just one, so that's going around, huh? Yeah, with just one. I usually mistake. ignore those because it's like crypto games that I'm not interested oh, in knowing about, or like. Um, but uh, that's good to know. I I didn't know this. I I actually I think I saw some people on Twitter were talking about this, like impersonators, right? Like trying to get information. I don't know the hell why they do that, but yeah. I mean, a lot of those links, you know, they have IP grabbers. So, yeah, that, uh, that's, that could be really dangerous. And not just that, just as a rule of thumb, like, like you know, digital hygiene rule of thumb, don't yeah. click on links you don't you don't trust or know about. Yeah. And even if you want to download even famous softwares or anything you want, it, mm-hmm. some of those sneaky rats make the same exact website. For example, Blender.com, you know? Yeah. But it's Blender.co or something. And they yeah. make the UI exactly <laughs> the same. It's really common, as you said, in NFT and crypto stuff, because uh, like two years ago, I wanted to download the digital wallet on desktop, mm-hmm. Exodus wallet. And uh, there was a lot of like, you know, warning that make sure the website is secure, the link is secure, mm-hmm. and you're downloading from the right website. Yeah. <laughs> because you might download malware, you might lose all your data and email, yeah. and that's not Bra- best practice, right? Like, yeah. Internet's sure. a dangerous place. <laughs> yeah. And as a rule of thumb, for, for example, for art, for maybe someone messages you on Twitter, maybe someone messages you on any platform, make mm-hmm. sure their profile looks legit. It's not yeah. fake, it's not made in two seconds. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> Yep, it is. <laughs> and because I know for a fact my texturing is not very good right now, so I know mm. any company wants messaging me for work. So that's a good thing. You know, knowing yourself is really good traits. Mm. You know, that's one of the benefits of it. So what and do you think the scammers want to get out of you? Like money or? No, they said, you know, we're interested in your work. This is the link to our stuff. You can check mm. the style of our work. So for further explanation, you can message us if you're interested. But... Highly likely it's a scam because yeah. the profile had zero information on it. And it was I've had just... some recruiters though like that on ArtStation. Like sometimes it's recruiters, you know, and they don't have artwork to post, right? But they're still like messaging people. Usually I just check if if they have a, like a LinkedIn page. And no, then you can the person had nothing, like yeah, so, nothing. Yeah. Not a good sign. <laughs> you exactly. know, like not a if even if it's real, like you know, it's like Huh. Like even if they really want to hire you, like do you really want to work with this person that has like zero presence? Like and, right? Like, yeah. And the weird thing is in the text it said like we have positions available in junior, mid, and senior. Mm-hmm. What is going through their mind as a recruiter? Like you know they yeah. already know. Also, oh, you can choose. Watch. Oh, give yeah. me a senior. <laughs> yeah. I want two of those, please. <laughs> And yeah, all right. So that was an important PSA I needed to mention. And well, we've reached the, actually to talk about a course. So just a quick story. Uh, I'm just going to mention, you know, I we talked about before the podcast, how I found the course. Well, mm-hmm. 
one of my friends recently a month ago said, hey, Ramtin, Overwatch 2. Initially, I actually found thing we wanted to play Valorant. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can play Valorant, but my friend is from Iran and he tried a lot of things and he couldn't install and make oh, Valorant okay. work. So we opted to Overwatch 2. So, mm-hmm. And he said, Ramtin is free. It's like Valorant. Come on, install it. You don't have to pay or anything because Overwatch 1 wasn't free, I guess, mm-hmm. as I remember. And I downloaded it and, well, we started to play and actually just a fun fact my mains i know i sound like a very basic player but my main that i'm really good at is actually soldier 76 of course mm-hmm. the most simple one <laughs> but i main mostly dps heroes like junk rats mm-hmm. you know cassidy you know and those heroes which is a really fun it's, it's honestly a fun game it gives you that mm-hmm. dopamine rush quick dopamine yeah. rush but the thing as an aspiring environment artist that really took my eye was a lot of things you know and in the environment, like everyone was carrying the payload or doing the objective, and I'm just mm. my camera is on like different corn nooks and crannies of the map taking screenshots. <laughs> and the good thing about the game is when you press the print screen button on your keyboard, you mm. don't have to. I don't have to control V like paste it yeah, on the page. Yeah, saves the picture. Yeah, in a folder. A lot of games have mm. that, which is really nice. So you just go to bloop. I can take a screenshot mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, I really like the art style. I really like how everything is. You know, is just meshes together stylistically and yeah i tried to search you know who were some of the main people behind the like the design of you know who were involved in the creation of this environment mm-hmm. and you know of course the tiago klavke name came up which we're having mm-hmm. the podcast right now <laughs> and you know i was just you know because here's the thing i'm always on hunt for new guests for my podcast mm-hmm. like by now, I've contacted in the past two and a half years, I contacted about 1,800, 1,900 people by wow. now. No joke. I've, it's I have pretty archived. awesome. This podcast you, you have, you know, so like much. you put so much work and is so much uh, useful information. Like, like, thank you, you know, like for giving this to the community. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, just a secret between us and anyone who's been like, you know, listening to this now. I kind of do this pretty like selfishly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know this sounds weird, but listen. I get the chance to talk mm-hmm. with artists from different backgrounds and learn from them. So mm-hmm. why I say this, because one of the main questions everyone asks me when I say, hey, I do podcasts, they look at the stats and say, oh, you don't have enough likes and followers. Like, I don't care. It's, I'm already uh, winning. That's exactly. I think that's a mindset that I, I really want. We I really hope that we can move into the future, like a win-win mindset like yeah exactly we all win so with my tutorial like okay the price is not cheap you know like i put the the price that it's worth right like it's not like ten dollars but i understand that like people that buy they are making investment the money they pay they're gonna make a hundred times more yeah fifty dollars honestly it's amazing fifty dollars for a standard edition yeah, it's like 20 years of knowledge condensed into those hours, right? So it's not like, uh, I, I'm going to make more, f- I want to make more free tutorials too, like, you know, to get people started. Um, but yeah, those win-win situations, I think that's when we all get better together, right? Like we, is the abundance mindset instead of like a scarcity mindset that creates so much damage in the world, right? Like. This idea that, you know, everything is scarce and I have to take what's mine. And and I'm like, no, the world is abundant. We can make more together. We can get better. We can make more money together. We can make more art together. We can create games together. We can create companies together. We can make podcasts, like all this stuff together, right? Everyone wins. 
Yeah, exactly. We're not taking from anyone. We are giving. Yeah. And they are also giving to us, right? We're not giving for free because also this is not very healthy, I think, to give everything for free, you know? Like you need to be able to survive. You need to pay your bills. You need to, right? Like, Yeah. And the thing is, aside from that, like I kind of, it's like my passion project as well, this podcast Mm -hmm. and like, regard, like I haven't made a single cent out of you in the YouTube Mm -hmm. or anything. Like my stats aren't impressive to say the least, but Mm -hmm. to me, the fact that I can, you know, talk to, I have a platform now that I can Mm -hmm. invite a lot of artists, you know, from different fields and I can learn from them. Like like I can have a conversation. Like it's just fun and interesting for me. Like how cool is that? You can learn and, you know, connect with, you know, different artists. Think about it. Like I saw, like, so how many views you usually get on a podcast? Mm, on it, it, here's a funny thing i don't uh-huh. have a consistent like you know audience like every mm-hmm. episode like it differs by the guest so yeah yeah it's kind of like that but yeah i guess 10 20 like 20 30 views or plays on audio like mm-hmm. that people who constant consistently listen to i guess i guess it's all it's also or, or i'm not going to go, go too much into this topic because we're mm-hmm. talking about the course but i'm just going to quickly mention i think the reason is that um because most art podcasts that you see that are successful, the host is a well-known person or has accomplished something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that person, to be honest. And I know that because I'm a journeyman. Mm-hmm. I'm an apprentice. I'm like just – it's kind of weird because in the art scene, both in Iran and like outside, I knew, knew nobody. I was literally yeah. nobody. And I started to make these connections slowly you know, through the podcast. And I was also like – and I wouldn't still consider myself new to art. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, of course, if I was someone who was well-known and, you know, had a reputation already and did a podcast, the story would be different. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm kind of like, you know, in doing it in reverse. But I don't care. It's just something I love and I'm passionate about. And, yeah, I'll do it, you know, I, as long I as I can. I love it. You know, and what I think is, like, not so much the numbers. I don't think the numbers mean much. The impact is what what's meaningful. And, you know, and I'm sure, like, let's say, like, the 10 people are listening you know, up to this point, I'm sure that we were able to touch their lives and, you know, like help make their lives a little bit better. And then they are going to make other people a little bit better. And then, you know, like we, we spread this. So I just think it's so much about the total numbers is about the quality, you know, and that's something that I had in mind with this tutorial too, because I also offer um, support and of course, I can't do this for like a ton of people, right? I, I, I have a limit to how much I can do it. So I'm like, I'm going for less people, but the people who are really passionate about. Like when I created the description of the course, uh, hopefully I, I, I didn't make it like, oh, everyone should buy. I'm like, I filter people out. I'm like, okay, are you this kind of person? you're going to like, otherwise don't bother. Uh, you know, you can try the sample and stuff and, you know, and make sure. And uh, I also have, uh, I offer refunds if you don't like, you know, and so far in like eight months, only one person asked for a refund. And it was like, look, I tried, you know, didn't work for me. I'm like, cool, like no problem, you know? So I would rather have less, but more impact than having like a ton of people buying the tutorial and, you know, and, and they're not watching, <laughs> you know, like what would be the point, right? If I can sell to a lot of people and they don't even watch the tutorial, like that's not why I made it. Like I want to see people making cool environments. 
I want to see people taking these ideas and, you know, and making amazing things. Because then I, I, I went to spiritually, right? Like I get better. Like I feel better. I'm like, at least I'm like helping others, right? Yeah. And imagine like, you know, in like you said you released a course in eight months ago, right? Uh, yeah, July. So yeah, about seven like, months. You know, yeah, eight. seven, eight months. But imagine like in a year or two, like you get a lot of messages of different people who... Mm-hmm thanks to this course, you know, got a lot of jobs, you know, in industry mm-hmm. and they can show you their portfolio works they've done on the course mm-hmm. and you can make a whole post about it on Twitter and mm-hmm. your website. And like, that's the second, like, you know, reward yeah. of, you know, this thing that you're doing and which is, I think, amazing. And now back to the speaking of the course, we kind of got sidetracked for a second. Um, so, yeah, I searched, I found his name. Then I mm-hmm. then as soon as I found that, you know, I was, you know, trying to save his links for podcasts, you know, interview later on. I, you know, I check people's links all the time and I said, oh, there's a gum road. And I was like, hmm, environment art master course, something I've been really looking forward to, a 3D environment course specifically that shows studio pipelines for every every single facet and phase of you know, production for 2D environment art. And it's done one, one by one of the main people involved in the creation of maps in Overwatch, something that mm-hmm. I've taken a lot of screenshots from. So I didn't even look at the tutorial, uh, like trader, I'm sorry. I just mm-hmm. bought it because I saw the price, like it was just like for standard edition, $49, 50 bucks, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Like even for, even I think for people who live in Iran or even Turkey, I do in Turkey. Yeah. Uh, it, it, sure, it's still pretty expensive, well, but it's huge. In, listen, it's a huge investment and I, relatively I, it's yeah. good. I like know I'm because I've been there before and I know I'm not like, because, okay, the one, like, sorry to interrupt you, is just because I remember this story and it was a, my very first job was, a, I was working like an army recruitment office in Brazil, <laughs> like a random job as an intern. And I was making uh, in dollars of today's value, I was making like $25 a month. In today's uh, ratio, <laughs> like $25 per month. That's what I was making. And I, it was the time when Half-Life 2 came out. And I made it a point of buying that game, the box, full price. It was the first game I ever bought. And I still have it here. I paid a... It was pretty much one month's salary like the entire months. And and my computer couldn't even run Half-Life 2 at the time. It took me about like two years after I got the game that I could run the game properly and I could play and I could see my maps. But it was a, a symbolic moment. I was like, look, I'm going to pay this because this is going to bring good things into my life. Right? And it did because that game came with this at level editor, you know, and I went to Half-Life 2 modding and mapping and, you know, it gave me a job in the future. So that's how I see this course too. Like if you are in a country where the currency is not so good, you can save some money, you can message me. Like, you know, I can give you, you know, like a link. Uh, like a lot of people message me like, hey, I really can't afford, like, cool, you know, like here, like we can uh, convert, but like, See as like if you if you make this effort, you're gonna work hard. You're gonna get it back. You know. And I think that's that. 
Yeah, but honestly, I don't think you, you shouldn't feel bad so much about it. I that's actually so nice of you to even offer that to anyone who's listening, you know, from that. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't think you should worry about that. Do you know why? Because anyone that can, you know, have the hardware to have a reason to buy the course, they probably mm-hmm. have the Wi-Fi. They probably they're not yeah. that well off, you know. I don't think so, you know. Yeah. They can afford it, so you don't have to worry about that. But it's no, I'm just saying that for some people, it's much easier yeah. than others. But I've been in that situation before, and I think those kind of purchases they were pivotal in my life. Like when I bought my first uh, walk home, I had to split the payments in like six installments. You know, and it's in dollars. It was like ninety dollars, <laughs> like a hundred dollars, right? Like like very cheap in today's terms. But I had to split and. I made it a point of like paying on time and, you know, and these are good habits to have, like use the money we have as a resource to get better, you know, instead of blowing on stupid shit that we do that sometimes, right? Of course we blow on stupid shit, but if you can use your money to enhance your life, travel, learn, get better, that's where we should invest, you know, because then you have more in the future, you can have a more comfortable life, you can help others, you can do the things you want to do and you know it's a it's a mindset. It's the abundance mindset. Yeah. Right? It's like sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go on, go on. No, I'm rambling. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, it's fine. No, no, please, please. Do bomb. No, I'm done. <laughs> all right, all right, sure. All right, I continue. Sorry. Um, yeah, I was gonna say something. This is actually something I've been, you know, thinking about as well, and I just noticed right now is, like, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I'm gonna be transparent and honest with everyone here. I've kind of been feeling really jealous these days. A lot of random, like, random jealous thoughts about, like, you oh, know, yeah. people, for example, who were born in, you know, different, like, better countries, mm. you know. And oh, I like, had those too when I was in Brazil. I know how it is. Yeah, and but like, that's I, your fire, you know. That's the difference. Yeah. That's that's what allowed me to do things that maybe here people were not able to do. Because yeah. I had a reason to work harder than them, you know. I was like, I, I don't want to live here anymore. Like, I want to have a better situation. I don't want to live with my family. I love my family, but it was hard to live. Everyone in a small apartment people fighting and you don't have freedom, you know, to do the stuff you want. I didn't have a car if I wanted to travel or do something. So that's your difference. You know, that's your fire. Like use that to like work harder to, you know, do your best. So it's a blessing. It's not a curse. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But at some point, you know, that could, you know, get could lead into a lot of pressure that could lead to depression naturally but here's what i wanted to mention after all these jealous thoughts i was like hmm like you know i'm 25 and a half and yeah i'm still not the place i am because i had to make a lot of different choices based on my situation Mm -hmm. right and i see for example someone who's like 22 23 years old and is in california i was born in usa and they have yeah they went to the art institute they learned from people that work at blizzard Exactly, they're already pro. They have everything mm-hmm. they could want at the life, and I'm just an apprentice at this age mm-hmm. because of the situation. So I feel jealous. But here's the thing: um, if you look at it as a sprint, yeah, sure, it, it might look depressing. But life is as cliche as it sounds. It's a marathon, and mm-hmm. all those shitty experiences you had, they kind of developed your character. They might yeah. have given you a lot of PTSD, but at the same time, they also gave you a really messed up sense of humor. They gave you flavor. 
yeah, exactly, a spice. And in a sense, in the long term, I think those type of characters could, I think, succeed a lot more. They have the potential mm-hmm. to succeed a lot more if they could realize that potential. You know, if if it doesn't just turn 100%. into depression. hundred you know? percent. So how do you think it could turn into depression? Um, that is, this is like a, a huge topic, but to be honest, mm-hmm. like, you know, when constantly the situation doesn't really change that much and, you know, mm-hmm. like, especially where... Like since 2019, 2020, the world feels like he's on a fever dream. Like so mm-hmm. many weird things happening, mm-hmm. so many roadblocks. And when you're alone with your thoughts on this journey, mm-hmm. it's trust me, sometimes your demons get a hold of you yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm telling you because of depression. Because grind, 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 it leads to depression. Humans are not robots, unfortunately. No, it's about the balance. Like we have to yeah. find the balance. Like you need to work hard. But you... Oh, God. It... But then we have to find, right? Like it's a when we get unbalanced, you know. Like, of course, a lot of times it's much easier said than done because we are not even conscious about what's happening, right? Yeah. But that's when it pays off to go uh, read some books about ancient philosophers, Plato, the Greek philosophers. They figure these things out. Seneca, you know. Like, I love reading a uh, Plutarch was a, a Roman historian and like he wrote this book uh, Roman Lives or Greek Lives it's just biographies of like famous Roman figures and he's comparing the characters like he always pairs uh, two people with usually opposite characters you know like so one is like super right and the other one is like super wrong and he, he writes in a very like funny way and stuff and then you start reading this stuff and you see like first it puts your suffering into perspective you know, at least you don't have the Roman army, like, invading your town and, like, <laughs> pillaging everything, right? So it's not that bad. Uh, and also you learn how other people, they were forced to overcome those situations. So usually when I fall into, like, a dark place, I go look for that kind of help, you know, from, like, old texts, new texts as well, Right. I just try to go for the stuff that's more like that's do the test of time. You know, if something was written like two thousand years ago and it's still being printed, <laughs> like it's to the test of time, right? Like there is something there. It's not a a waste. But yeah, I, I totally know. I, I I know exactly where you're coming from. I had those moments. Sometimes I have those moments too. But with time, I think when you build your life, you build your career, like now I'm very happy to be at a place where it's much easier for me to find a new job now than it was before. You know, if I'm not happy with my current job and I'm like, okay, I want to try something new, like I have a lot more options. And I think that's uh, something that drives us to, you know, like you, you want to have options. You don't want to be stuck in just one thing. The moment you know you have options, you know you can walk away, you have a certain sense of peace, you know, and you worry less about stuff like imposter syndrome, you know, like failing or like these kind of things because you you know, but that's a process. You need to build that over time and you can't fake it, you know, you have to do the stuff because you know you can do and. The things that got me to this point were the really hard stuff. You know, the there was like a, as an example, like one map on Overwatch, Oasis. 
this map when I worked on it, it destroyed me. <laughs> like it was a very hard moment in my life, you know, like I was uh, going for like a divorce, like with my ex-wife of like 12 years. And then at the same time, it was a lot of pressure in that map because it was the first map that I, and I got an entire area to work on as an environment art. So the deadline was very tight. Uh, it was the first time I was doing a map and the concept was very hard because the idea of the map was like a futuristic uh, Mesopotamia, you know, like the hanging gardens of Mesopotamia. What would that look like? And to make matters worse, our concept artists uh, quit at the time. So there was basically no concept art for this map. So to make that map, I went through hell. Like I, I had to go to oh therapy, not because of the map, but you know, like I was, I was at my limit there. I was like, like I, I, I there was one day that I uh, got up and I couldn't get out of bed, and I was like, oh shit! Now you understand like how people that have depression feel like and. I'm not like this, you know, like the, the moment that happened, I, I looked for a therapist same day and I'm like, I don't know, help me understand what the hell is happening with me. Right. And then she helped me, you know, like overcome that. It was amazing investment I made a few months, but learned so much, you know, like, but so to, to make this story short, that map basically broke me apart and then I put the pieces together. And then in the end, I made something. It's not my best work, you know, it's some stuff there is a little dirty, like, you know, like, but in context, that was the map that proved to myself that no matter how hard things get, I can do it. Even if I'm suffering, even if it's, even if I have to go to hell, I can, I can do it. But you have to do, you know, you have to go for that challenge. So that's why I was talking about earlier about like looking for challenges. Like you have to overcome the challenges. You have to embrace the challenge and it is hard. It's suffering, you know, like it's, it's not a comfortable place to be, but those moments allow you to go to a much better place. And if you run away from them, you might get stuck. You know, you're never going to go to the next level. Yeah, exactly. And tr and whenever you try to run away from something in your life, it always comes back at you at oh, another yeah. point of life, you know? Bigger, so bigger. Be exactly. <laughs> Better to deal with it yeah. now and grow mm -hmm. from it. Yeah. And actually, also another thing I need to mention about the course is that the course has about 91 ratings, custom, like, you know, on Gumroad. Mm -hmm. And not a single one of them is uh, like four star, three star, two star, one star, oh, they're nice. all five stars. Thanks, Wait, everyone. you didn't know that? <laughs> Wait, well, I, last time I saw, I think it was like 70 ratings. I didn't know it was a... Oh, yeah. It, right now it's 91, and soon it's going to be 92 because I'm really lazy and I kind of <laughs> take my time with this. Awesome, <laughs> so, thanks. Yeah. yeah, no worries. So, yeah, this is like for anyone who's literally want to work, like, I don't know, on games like Apex, Valorant, mm. or, you know, Overwatch, you know, just become an environment artist. Any kind of environments, yeah. Even exactly. if it's not the style there, you know, it's you can adapt. Exactly. So, yeah, those skills are easily transferable. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that is a great start for me. Like, for example, listen, the modeling is with Maya. I've never used mm -hmm. Maya, but the principles are the same, you know. Oh, so it's the same. Yeah. Regardless of anything, the, you need to learn and understand the concepts. And mm -hmm. this course has really packed everything, you know, in this niche in that. So. Yeah. 
for anyone who's interested. Again, I couldn't recommend this enough. I pers- I personally bought it myself, so you know you can't say. Awesome. Listen, from a guest, like I always try to, of course, you know, kind of you know advertise. You know, people, the guests are on the podcast, advertise their stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, there was this is like the second instance I actually, um, I bought the thing that I'm actually advertising. The first one was actually cool. was a German pixel artist who did like an Android retro pack for, you know, custom retro oh, pack, yes. like icon pack. That was one of the things, but this is the second one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not, act, I'm not just, you know, like, you know, doing like a silly advertisement. I'm actually being serious. Mm-hmm. This is legit. You can check it out. The links are down in the yeah. description below. And uh, actually about the maps, let's talk about some, a little bit of environment mm-hmm. art. Um, in of course, in the art style of Overwatch, is pretty much you know a stylus, and for me personally, Paraiso map. Uh, and wait, there was two other maps that I really like. Oh, I can wild, I can wild. I don't know how you pronounce it. I can wild. <laughs> German map and Elias. Yeah. These three maps, I really love these maps. To be honest, like mm-hmm. especially Paraiso, which I think uh, in the captions I read that you were kind of like mostly in charge in a lot of parts of it. Because, no, yeah, this one was, was after I left. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I'm not. I wasn't there in the team anymore, so I don't know exactly who worked on this map. But, but the Brazil, yeah, it's oh, the Brazil oh, wait, map. Paraíso is real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I thought it was the Portugal map. That one has a similar name. Yeah, so this Paraíso map, uh, it's real. <laughs> so it was always. The moment I started Blizzard, I was like, okay, one day I want to make a map environment here that takes place in Brazil. So I was like bugging them from the beginning, like, oh, we're going to make Brazil, we're going to make Brazil. And then it took eight years, I guess, to get there. So when the chance came to make this map, I just asked them, like, look, just let me do as much as I can, you know? So uh, uh, it was a very fun map to make, you know, like to go into the things that I love about Brazil and learn more about Brazil and convert to the Overwatch style was like crazy good time. Very, I'm very grateful I had the chance to work on that map. Like I feel blessed. Yeah, actually that's one of my favorite maps when it comes to, you know, just the aesthetic of it. Like it's such a fun, fresh, like, you know, these are the words that pop into your head when you look at the map. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like a fun place to um, play. Colorful. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, I love um, the gameplay too. Uh, was the level designer Dave Adams did an amazing job, and this map also, I think, it was the map on Overwatch that I was the closest with the level designer from the beginning. So it was a pleasure to work with Dave, and Dave designed a lot of the classic maps too, like a uh, Ilius. He made, I think, two points, uh, like Gibraltar. Hollywood, so he was a level designer on those maps. But real, like when we started working together, I would go to his desk every day and like do stuff like, oh, this street goes this way. I'm like, oh, can you make this street go the other way? You know, because then we can occlude these things better here. So it was a very fun map to work from the beginning. You know, like there's a lot of vertical action and we play test a lot of this map. Like every day we would do a play test and it would always feel right away. So that was a good sign when we were working on a map and you start a playtest and, and the server would feel right away. We knew, okay, this is a good map because 
otherwise like okay so people are not enjoying the people in the team are not enjoying so much we need to do some more work in there interesting and um oh yeah and um you mentioned you know doing a map related to your own hometown you know you're from rio right no it was oh. i've never been to rio actually but it's like oh, in brazil every soap opera every movie you know takes yeah. place in rio so oh, i've yeah, been there without being it's like new york right like we all been yeah. to new york oh, even yeah. if we've never been there <laughs> And yeah, speaking of that, actually, I kind of around two, three days ago, I got, I had this sudden burst of you know inspiration about like you mm. know the map I actually environment I want to work on you know alongside your mm. course, and let me actually I have the sketches here. I got, suddenly got super excited, and I started sketching you know environments based on you know oh, my home. I can see it. The picture is a little blurry. Yeah, sorry. No, I think it's because of the. Is the compression? Like, yeah. And not just but that's it's awesome just... to know you're you take inspiration from the your place because yeah i think those are the, the most fun projects to make yeah, it's, it's just because I... it's really compressed you know uh, the picture right yeah. now yeah so i kind of you know have this uh, idea of like you know actually an overwatch map like a cargo map you know in my head it suddenly mm. hit me um because my hometown shiraz is is a very old city so it's kind of, it's a kind of an interesting city, you know. Is it the one it's, that has the market like open to the? A lot of those ancient, old Iranian cities have those markets, but yes, she was also have Silk Road. Um, I don't think so. no. That's Isfahan. I think you're talking about. I mm, think. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm not sure about that, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the thing is. Shiraz is an interesting place because you have <laughs> you have things, places, and artifacts from many different historical periods. Yeah. Like you have Persepolis, like 30 kilometers outside the city, which is from 2,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. You have stuff, you know, buildings from and ma- mansions from, you know, Qajar dynasty, Pahlavi dynasty, Zan dynasty, mm-hmm. all these, you know, different eras. Like you know, it's 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 a funny. Fun, not in terms of, I mean, interesting. Sorry, fun mm-hmm. is not really a good verb here. It's interesting, especially the city center. Like, you know, from, uh, of course, when I mention the names, no one will probably understand. Mm-hmm. But from Molosadra Street, which is like a very, like a technology hub of the city, which all the major, you know, hardware places, computer places, you know, console, mm-hmm. that's the place where you buy vacuum tablets, you know, just the technological place of the city. And a lot of the main university of the city are around that area and at the mm-hmm. same time when you move towards this street you come to zand complex which is like oh my god it's like it has a lot of historical castles like you know mm-hmm. Khan, which was the seat of the king of the iran for a while so it's there's a huge castle there then there's a lot of old houses and cities and bazaars and old bathhouses Wow, and I'm looking at the pictures now, and it's like, so when I was working on Oasis, I looked at a lot of this, especially the mosque with the with the, the stained lights. glass. Oh yeah, the National Mosque, mosque, yes. So psychedelic, so beautiful. I tried to do that in the Oasis map, but I I failed, so I reverted. But I tried to do like a room with with those uh, psychedelic Pinted colors. glasses, yeah. Yeah, but it was getting too crazy, so I, I toned it down in the end, but... Uh, it's oh, yeah. wow what a beautiful place to come from insane and it's yeah and it's also is known as the city of gardens and wine yeah. but because of the whole islamic thing they don't really mention that a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, there's several layers of culture right 
Yeah. A lot. And there's actually a lot. It's City of Poetry and Wine and Garden, mm. something like that. And there's a lot yeah, of Yeah, Shiraz Wine, right? Yeah, Shiraz. Very famous type. Yeah, and a lot of famous poets of uh, Farsi, like Sadi and Hafez, are from Shiraz mm. as well. Their tombs are very famous landmarks. People go visit there. Mm they're beautiful places so i kind of you know have this idea for this map to kind of have a microcosm of shiraz in this map like not mm-hmm. a one-to-one scale of the place but you know the disneyland version <laughs> yeah kind of like that yeah exactly mm-hmm. and i thought you know i can in my head imagine like those historical places with all the gadgets and technological mm-hmm. and futuristic stuff like overwatch all around the place you know the crates mm-hmm. and you know all that stuff so i'm kind of you know have this idea for now and i'm trying to develop it and just do all that the practices awesome. of the course yeah. you know and along the way and of course i i'm a kind of person i'm a geek when it comes to documenting things i love documenting mm-hmm. and archiving things so as the all the progress i make i'm gonna document it and of course mm-hmm. i'll share it with you as well and um that sounds awesome man yeah that's a, that's the a fun thing about your course because yeah sure you have a example of the thing you're working on in terms of technicality mm-hmm. but it's not like hey make this project and you know boom yeah. it's over uh, which of course you have to courses... figure out by yourself you know like yeah. that's how you learn is when you figure out by yourself yeah exactly because of course nothing bad about those courses you still learn a lot about those courses but mm-hmm. when you want to actually like it's the difference between you know having fish and you know learning how to fish basically mm-hmm. you know that that's how I see it yeah and yeah there's like it has so many potential and i think no one really took the art that type of concepts of like you know city and environments you know kind of mm-hmm. like from iran you know and of course iran has a lot of amazing you know huge yeah. digital artists actually like it's it's kind of a freaky thing like iran is under a lot of sanctions all this time and mm-hmm. in terms of technology money economy but it still produces a lot of talented artists you know in comparison yeah. to other countries it's a very you, know, rich place, you know in the mainstream media in the west like they don't portray in the best way but if you study a little bit of history you know if you really look what's happening it's it's an incredible place yeah yeah definitely and there's like you know other like yeah the uh, mainstream media of the west is like just you know everyone is npc <laughs> we're just you know yeah. the main characters it's poison that's what it is yeah and yeah just mainstream media in general not just in mm-hmm. us you know in any places just try to have your own critical thinking and just yeah. do your own research and everything you know it's very different in other places because here uh we got so on the open air tv there's a uh, this japanese channel nhk so it's the international version right they make for the world so it's in english and sometimes i watch the news there and it's very different you know it's very informative like they inform like I don't feel like they have an agenda to say one way or another. They kind of say, oh, here's what happened today and, and this and that. But then a lot of the shows is like about food, about trains, about, you know, like information, you know, like you learn about different places, you learn about how people work and it's a very different mindset, you know, like it's really a mindset of like informing instead of programming. Yeah, you know, exactly. tell you what you think. Like they kind of give you the stuff, and you know, if you like it, cool. If you don't, you watch something else. I've heard that about like uh, that the Chinese version of TikTok in China apparently is much different oh, than yeah. the TikTok they export to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, yeah like stupid science shit. experiments. Like they see like, uh, oh, how good it is to be a soldier, and you know, like. <laughs> 
Yeah. And yeah, China is an interesting place as well. Like as a joke, actually, I'm like fun fact. As a joke, I'm actually learning. It. I started learning a little bit of Chinese to prank one of my mm. Chinese friends as well. <laughs> I mean, like you know. <laughs> And um, yeah, it's it's an interesting you know culture in itself as well. Like mm-hmm. it, but it's been portrayed a, a lot, you know, just yeah. not very nicely because of the governments and the stuff like that. But just look at the culture and people. Just differentiate government yeah. and people. Like that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Say, you know? Exactly. And um, yeah, there's a couple of other things I wanted to ask about, like you know, about your work when it comes to you know working on Overwatch. Um, so, when it comes to like Overwatch, it's a pretty sty- stylized, you know, in in terms of art style, it's pretty stylized both in characters and environments to a sense, cool. in a, some senses. But when it comes to stylized stuff, you a lot of the textures and you know models are mm-hmm. like, how do you um, implement modularity in a stylized environment? That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to ask because when it comes to stylized stuff, it's a bit diff- it's a different story if I'm not wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say that you use modular where it makes sense to use modular and you use unique when it makes sense to use unique. So a lot of times, like if you're making a very custom building, you know, like that's like very organic shapes and because a lot of the buildings in Overwatch, they are there for level design, right? So sometimes the level designers and they make really abstract shapes and you have to dress them as... You know, it's something that makes sense, that looks like something. And it's a it's an art form in itself, you know, to figure out where you use modular, where you use unique. But this is a constant struggle. I don't have an answer for this. Let's say like use modular for this, use unique for this. You know, like even at work this week I started uh, blocking out like a map and I was using a lot of modular pieces and it just felt really slow. Like I wasn't enjoying so much. And I was like, okay, what if I do like I did in some other map before and I just make a building topper in Maya, you know, the whole building, very simple, just a block out. And then I place that around the map. And I was like, shit, that, that's fun. That's cool. That works. So I think it's a discovery, you know, uh, some architecture styles, they play really well for with the modularity. Others, like not so much. So I think... It can be a trap to, you know, to try to be too smart about how to make something. Sometimes you just have to do it. And sometimes halfway, you're like, oh, there's an easier way to do this. You can change directions, you know, but other times it's better to just do it than getting stuck like, oh, is this better? Is this better? You know, like, I don't think there is a single answer for anything. But the modularity, I think it's... It's a little tricky, you know, like if you if you're too modular, too strict, you're gonna have stuff that looks too like right, repetitive and doesn't feel very organic. So I think the trick is to hide the modularity, you know, like use some more interesting shapes, maybe the corners are more detailed, you know, like try to hide that it's a box. If if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And um, the th- the interesting with that modular, you know, um, environment, you know, creation is that uh, a bit the best way I can describe and explain it to people who are listening who might not know is like uh, for anyone who played like games like Valheim or mm-hmm. uh, basically game. Have you played Valheim by the way? Yes, or, or checked it out. Yeah, amazing yeah. game. Amazing game. And the thing Very is, the best way, <laughs> yeah, 
the best way I can describe modular level, do you know how the building in Valheim is? As uh, an environment artist, you should be able to make like just a set of elements. Mm-hmm. And from those set of elements, there's thousands of possible iterations that can make different stuff. Like, you know, just look at the crazy things people build with just the basics things you have in Valheim, you know, build, mm. building things, you know? That's, the, I think, a really nice way to... Yeah, it makes sense in that game, right? But maybe in another yeah. game, it's not going to make much sense to make modeler. Yeah. And especially, I think, the, I draw the line when the modeler kit starts to have a lot of pieces. Like, if you have to make a lot of pieces, like... First, it's going to be a lot of work to maintain that kit. Like, let's say if there's a bug, you know, like there is a texture seam and, and then it's in every piece and then you have to maintain all those pieces. You know, you have to maintain collision. It's like, I'm just saying that if you open a modular kit and it's like 20, 30, like 40 pieces, I'm not sure that's the best approach. But if it's like, let's say like you made like five pieces and with those five pieces, you can make an entire room like a hallway, I think that's a success. And a lot of times, so you can work in a modular way, but in a unique way. What I mean is, let's say you have a room and you need to make the modeling for that room. But let's say that it has like three doors and they're all in a different position. So if you make it modular, it means that you have to have a wall, a corner, and then you have to make three variations for doors, you know, like it becomes annoying to maintain this kind of kits. So you can export that to Maya or whatever, Blender, and you can make it modular in Blender, in Maya, right? And then you export like a chunk, but you built it in a modular way. You're duplicating in the modeling editor. You still work in a modular way, but you're not exporting those little pieces. I think that's what kills me. It's like when you try to make an environment out of like tiny pieces, I can't work that way. Kills kills my motivation. You know, if you have like... Wall and little window and then little window like I prefer to just like for for example the Spanish style I made a few building like complete buildings I think I made five or six different buildings and I made the entire map of those buildings you know and I tried at some point to make it modular to make like oh I'm gonna make like a storefront set and a corner and then a window but it just looked super boring it looked like a box like didn't fit that style. But yeah. if you're making New York City or like the Matrix demo in Unreal, and then it makes a hundred percent sense to use segments because that's how that architecture is. Yeah, definitely. And um, what was I gonna say? Ah, I forgot. I think. Oh, yeah, I remember. I once was doing like this exercise for making a tavern pops in like I think three, mm-hmm. four months ago in Unity. It was for artists of like a, some job, you know. Mm-hmm. And they just gave two asset libraries. One was a weapon asset library, which was, you know, a bunch of swords and mm-hmm. maces and axes and a shield. And the other one was a bunch of, like, you know, blocks, at a room and a bunch mm-hmm. of, you know, assets. And they said, make a tavern with only this, you know, stuff and no modeling. Oh. And, like, one of the things I did was I, for the roof, uh-huh. I, I, I reversed the shield. So oh. the pointy pieces are they scaled it. And it actually, oh, in, in the viewport, they actually turned out really nice. So, yeah. And long story short, they never answered me back. But it's still, I was kind of proud of that. I did that. <laughs> because, it's, because it turned out pretty well, nice. Sometimes you're going to do what you're going to do, right? Yeah. And um, about, now here's the thing. About optimization, which is like a really 
daunting topic for mm. especially for a lot of beginner artists for myself as well you know and um like for example for valorant today i was playing mm. valorant and the map icebox you know once i'm starting to know how this thing's made i start to notice different things in design and art mm. you know so for example i see oh these lights are baked they're not actually mm. lights the lights yeah. are something different everything in valorant is by the way mostly is baked but of course yeah. it makes sense it's a competitive shooter yeah it has to run on has every computer yeah it has to be optimized as hell mm. because of like you know server issues and stuff but um but it was interesting to me the concept of optimization now here's the thing um when it comes to overwatch mm. what are some of your biggest challenges when it came to optimizations like in the team and just you know for the whole project i would say it was sometimes the texture memory because think about it like there is like this game runs even on switch right and it has 12 characters at the same time so what if those 12 characters are it's 12 no now it's 10 right because it's 5v5 so back in the day it was 12 because it was 6v6 so imagine each hero is a different character with a different skin, with a different model, with a different texture. So that already takes a lot of the available memory you have. And then there was like VFX, right? Like, so the actual memory for the environments was very small. So we had to be smart with reusing textures, like downscaling. Sometimes some textures were like a square, but then you could cut in half and then tile twice, you know, like if the tiling is not visible you you could do that like doing stuff like setting the the normal maps to like a lower compression you know so they you would work with some textures you know like to get lower quality but i think optimization is something you do in the end because the more you do the more you learn and you're gonna make mistakes you know but then when you make mistake you learn the mistake so if you want to learn about optimization, every time you, you finish an environment, you're close to finishing, take a look at the optimization. And I have a chapter about this on the tutorial, like very basic, like how to, the most basic thing you can do on, on optimization, right? Like how you can see the texture memory. And then you can, it's like, I do this on the Spanish town, like when I started optimizing the texture memory, uh, that I think the map was loading about 500 megs of textures. And after I finished optimizing, it was loading like 120 megs or something like this. And the code is the same visually, you know, like, so there were some wrong compression settings, you know, like some textures were much bigger than they had to be. Uh, but those things you do in the end. Uh, of course, after you work on that same pipeline for a while, you know the things that cause problems, right? So you avoid them in the beginning, but you have to get there first. Yeah, and I mean, of course, the thing with optimization is I think Overwatch has its own engine, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? So yeah, I mean, that's a whole other different topic, but- Yeah, it works very different than Real, very different than Unity. Yeah. Because All those things are relative to the engine, right? Like some yeah. things are common, like the loaded texture memory. But Unity, Unreal, they they handle visual occlusion a different way. 
Uh, there's all those things, right? Like if the lighting is baked, it's very different than if the light is dynamic. You know, there's different challenges. So you just have to learn. But it's fun because then you learn more about the engine. You learn more about rendering. Like that's what I like about optimization because then you really learn how the computer works. Yeah. I read somewhere that, if I'm not mistaken, that the geometry is being calculated by the GPU, but the graphics and textures are by CPU or it's reverse. Uh, I think, well, this is a little outside my air expertise, but I think CPU a lot of times is used for the very basic calculations, like occlusion, you know, like base pass, mm-hmm. and the actual rasterization, the rendering is done on the GPU. The GPU can do those things much better. But I think the CPU is better for like, like imagine like way back in the day, like those kind of games that they they had to like render, like they have to figure out the occlusion, the triangle counts, like all those calculations. I think they're still, not all of them, but a lot of them are done on the CPU. But now the performance usually is on the GPU that you have to optimize. It's like how many materials you have in the scene, if you have transparency on top of transparency, like those kind of things that are usually the problem, you know, usually the problem is not like triangle count, like those things, usually. Yeah, and um, and also there's something, I think it was, I don't know if I watched it on your YouTube channel or it was just some bits and pieces I randomly watched from the course, but something blew my mind that I didn't know about was... Uh, for the sake of optimization, of course, mm-hmm. we always try to add details and textures than to just, mm-hmm. you know, model and add the polycounts, you know. So at one point for some, instead of sculpting, you actually use some decals for some corners and edges yeah. of the building. So yeah. that's like, wow, you don't even you need to You can fake details, right? That's like yeah. how, uh, I think this comes from a lot of older games. So if you played a Fallout 3, Oh, yeah, I love Fallout, yeah. Yeah, so they use the hell out of this technique. Like, every corner, you know, it's broken, but it's a decal. It's the same same idea. Yeah. It's an old idea, right? And you can fake a lot with decals, and the good thing is you can reuse them. So if you make one broken corner, you can make a lot of buildings with the broken corners. Yeah. So it's all exactly. about faking that illusion. Like, how can you get to your result faster, right? Like, with less work, so you can get more results. Yeah. And um, all right. So have you ever used your dreams or any of your, ins- have you ever used your dreams as source for your inspirations on in your, any of your works? Like, oh, for sure. Oh, could you tell us? Yeah. Um, especially on the VR stuff I'm working on now, there's a lot of stuff that comes from the dream world, let's say, you know, like a bit more, because the VR has this, you have the presence, right? So I think the cool thing about VR is you can go somewhere where you can't in the physical world. And I'm not interested in, in VR and like killing robots or shooting at zombies. Like that stuff doesn't interest me. But if I, I can go some other dimension, some other place, like some artist creation, right? Like that's what interests me about it. A lot of times I kind of see the map in my dreams. When I work on a map, you know, and then I see some flashes of the map in my dream and stuff. But it's a, I definitely part of my creative process. You know, is the visualization. We have this faculty, and then we and we can develop it. The third eye, you know, like the inner vision. 
if you can create there first, it's much easier when you sit down the computer to materialize it. Yeah, exactly. And um, I kind of tend to have a lot of my own ideas, you know, for my personal mm-hmm. things from my dreams as well throughout the years. So that's actually an interesting like question I ask people because the answers are always way different than each other, you know? Oh, yes. So, yeah. And all right. The next question is, who are some of your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? Hmm. It changes so a lot, you know, depends on the phase I am, you know, like, uh, I, I don't like to say that like, oh, one person, another person, you know, like, uh, it's like now I'm more into, I don't know, some Japanese, like manga artists from the nineties. But then like a year ago, I was doing a lot of, uh, I was studying a lot about architecture, like. Frank Gehry, uh, uh, I have the book there. Anyways, I can never remember his name, like Miles, like uh, Zaha Hadid as well. I got like four books and like Zaha Hadid makes this very organic like architecture. So it changes a lot, right? Like when I was working in Rome, I was going to this, in, in the Rome map, I was studying like Vitruvius, these old artists. Uh, but in terms of you, the question was inspired me. I would say it was the people in the community that got jobs, you know, like in the Counter-Strike community. So a lot of people from the like communities I used to go in the past, like one is called Mapcore. There was another one in Brazil, Level Design, uh, made in Brazil. So those people, they started getting jobs and I was like, oh shit, so I can get a job too, you know, because I, I see the path and then I could see like how they were creating textures one way and like learning from them, right? But I'm very lucky that I got to work with a lot of those at Blizzard. So I'm very blessed, you know, like a lot of the artists that I looked up to, I got to work with them at Blizzard and I got to learn from them and I got to collaborate and we got to create together. So that was a very special gift let's say like a blessing you know that i'm very grateful that i had the chance all right and um speaking of blizzard you know do you have any advice for any advice or tips for a good portfolio and resume for example for a place like you know blizzard like like you Mm -hmm. know what do you uh recommend and also on a side note uh could you also briefly explain you know how you got opportunity to go work in blizzard Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, that's a funny one because uh, so before Blizzard, I was working in Sao Paulo. Uh, Ubisoft had a studio there. And after two years, they were like, oh, making games is too hard. We don't want to do it anymore. You know, like they just want to do publishing. So they closed the development studio. And I was like, I'm done with Brazil. I don't want to, I want to move out, you know? So I created this uh, scene it's on my portfolio called the zest foundation is like a sci-fi scene that looks like mass effect mirror's edge and in that scene i was figuring out how to do modeler stuff you know i was playing a lot of mass effect at the time and i was like extracting the files like ripping the files you know to see like how they they build stuff like how they build that modularity and i i i 
I went deep into that environment because it was around the time that the studio was shutting down. So they already told us that like, oh, the studio is going to shut down in two or three months. So I would bring the files to uh, Ubisoft and work on that during the day, you know, and because also there wasn't much work left there anymore, right? So, and then I would come home and then work on it all night. And I applied to jobs everywhere. I was like, I'm going to apply to all the places that I admire, uh, like EA Dice, like Bioware, even Capcom in Japan. Like I was like, I just sent to every place. And Blizzard, I was like, I'm not sure if I have the skill level there yet, you know, so I'm going to apply to the other places. And a few years from now, I can apply for Blizzard. So I didn't even apply. So the thing that was keeping me in Sao Paulo was my uh, great grandmother. Like she was at the end of her life and it was just someone that I loved and it was I was living in the same building that she was, and I would go and visit her like every day after work, you know, just spend some, like half an hour with her. I'm very grateful I had that chance in Sao Paulo, you know, to get her less years. But I was always like, I'm not going to move out, you know, while she's here, because like I knew the importance of the company, you know, with her, and I enjoyed her company so much. So, she passed away a um, few months after Ubisoft closed, I think. And we had the the burial, the how do you call it in English? You, yeah, you know burial, what I, mean, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had the burial, and then I came home, and I opened my email, and there was an email from a recruiter from Blizzard. <laughs> And he was like, oh, I saw your, your work, you know, and I think it matches what we are doing here. Would you like to do an art test? And then I took that as a sign, you know, it's like, I think the universe, whatever you want to call it, is always speaking to us through like these coincidences, you know, like for this like signs. I completely agree with you. Right? Like you, if you just follow the signs, you get where you need to go, you know, like any, the times we don't listen to those signs, we usually get fucked. <laughs> we learn the hard way. <laughs> But there is something that helps us. I don't know if it's like guides, you know, something out there is helping us. And so I was like, of course, you know, and I even remember I I asked a friend that worked at Blizzard, like, hey, do, do you think I am good enough to work at Blizzard? He was like, oh, no, you need to get some more skills. <laughs> and uh, but then I got the message right from the recruiter and I worked really hard on this art task. And, and then I came here for an interview and I also got very lucky because they didn't do a phone interview with me at the time. Like, I think they forgot and I would probably have failed because my English was not good at all at the time. Like spoken English wasn't fluent. So I came here for the interview and it was like amazing. Like I connected with everyone right away and they gave me the contract even before the interview was done. They, they were like, oh, you work, like we love you and stuff. And they even, uh, they even gave a little bit more than I asked. Like they were like, dude, you ask it too little. Like they, they gave a bit more. So that was a really good start of a relationship, you know? So that's another sign to, if the company's trying to uh, negotiate down, you know, like keep an eye out for that. Yeah. You're just a cog in their wheels and you're easily replaceable. Yeah. yeah. I know it's a very different place now, you know, like a different world, 
companies change. But at that time, you know, that was the the mindset. And I think that's why I was so happy there for so long. Like there was a sense of community, you know, everyone working together and friends and, you know, like they love to say it's a family and it felt like one, you know? So the other question was like how, I don't know how you get a job there. And I get asked this a lot of times and you see like how it happened to me, right? (laughs) I think it's like you have to, the work that makes you stand out and when the chance comes you need to be ready for it but those two elements need to be there you know if there is no job opening like how are you going to get hired but then if the job is open and you're not prepared it's not going to happen but it's like an old phrase that luck is when preparation opportunity meet Mm-hmm. right and then you say like oh i was lucky right so that's what happened to me you can say oh i was lucky but it's because i was prepared for the opportunity that showed in that moment you know i created this modeler map pushed my skills much farther than i had before you know and this map got famous like got some popularity in the community uh, i also wrote a tutorial it's on my website like how to make model environments and to this day, like I, when I go to GDC or like when I travel to conferences, people, there's always someone that comes to me and like, dude, I thank you so much. That tutorial is, is what helped me get a job, you know, like, so uh, those are the things you do that, you know, that create your value, let's say your market value, because a company is only going to hire you if you have a value, if you're going to bring more value than they pay you. Right, so if they pay yeah. you like a hundred thousand, you have to generate like three hundred, four hundred thousand, because otherwise it's not economic uh, reasonable, right? Yeah, and by the way, on your portfolio, you only had that, uh, as you mentioned, like you know, this foundation project, mm-hmm. or was there other projects as well? Oh no, I had a Counter Strike maps, Half Life maps, Half Life Two mods. Oh, textures. Right. There was a lot of stuff, but that, that environment. Uh, if you see how Overwatch is, right? There is something there, right? Yeah, you know, it's not far off. It could yeah. be an Overwatch map. Yeah, I can see. So that. that's another part, right? If you want to get hired at like Diablo, and you have like a Star Citizen stuff, like. Only if you're very senior, you know, and but you, you also have to have you prepare your portfolio to the kind of work you want to do. Oh yeah, exactly. Stylistically, definitely. Yeah. But so honestly, want- this, this foundation looks. I can literally see that in an Apex map right now. True. Apex yeah, they Legends. have a- Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, you know, I've kind of noticed, you know, because I'm also researching a lot of like, you know, different portfolios of environmental artists, mm-hmm. but the main thing I've noticed is that two aspects, two things should be answered. Two checkboxes should be like, you know, ticked off. Mm-hmm. One is artistic part of portfolio. Two for in K in terms of environments, mm-hmm. 3d artists is the technical and optimization parts. Yes. Most requirements, they want you to, of course, you know, have like, you know, works in the same cell of the company and projects they're working mm-hmm. but at the same time they always say you need to understand the pbr p- pipeline you need to it, yeah be able it's to not a requirement it. i think it's it it 
what we were saying that like oh, you, you have to do something the style of the company that applies to these companies that have a very strong style like Blizzard, Valve, Riot, Nintendo. Yeah. But there is a whole other industry that's not those companies, right? And then, like when I got the job at Ubisoft, it was a they were gonna make Nintendo DS games for girls because they had this line at the time. Uh, Imagine it was like games for like girls, and they were doing really well. And it was like kind of jobs that like girls dream about, like wedding designer. And the the one we made was a uh, Imagine Detective, so it was a very fun project to work. And I knew, so they posted an interview saying like, oh, we're going to open a studio in Brazil when we are going to make these kind of games. And then I looked at my portfolio and I only had Counter-Strike stuff, like very different than that, you know? And so I created a little scene, like a little low poly scene, like a little bedroom, like a girl's bedroom. And I made it like very low poly, but like pixel art, like textures, you know, like a little computer like a like a bed and stuff to show them that i can do that style too so it doesn't even need to be like a massive project it can be just a little corner you know a little piece of the world yeah that really counts you know especially if the studio has established ip you know like if you want to get a job at like need for speed developer like if you have a little like urban scene right like that's going to go a long way even if you make just like two or three buildings, you know, like with a corner. But if you can show them you can do that job, that increases your chances like exponentially. Oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, like, for example, what I've known, aside from the thing I said, like you, in most pieces that get jobs right now in portfolio pieces, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, depends also on the company and the project, but you need to show that you can you know understand the pbr pipeline yeah. pretty well you need to show you can yeah sculpt. that's the basics yeah you need to in show brazil you can we call sculpt. the rice with beans because everyone every everyone in brazil they eat rice and beans and then what like oh a steak and chicken and stuff you need to do the the you know, base yeah yeah if you don't know that don't even bother you know like yeah why why would they spend time and money teaching you like how you you think you're so special, you know that they're gonna take like time away from creating things to like teach you the basics. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you know, it's not just the basics. Of course, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about the bare basics, mm-hmm. but they also, you know, they also ask you to, you know, learn how to like, you know, basically in pieces you see, you present the skills mostly in the pieces I see that get jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think, you know, that portfolio pieces should necessarily be like, you know, origin, original art, which, yeah. which is, of course, oh, not necessarily. It's about the thing. workflow, you would say, right? Yeah, you need to Showing, show you in know. your piece. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's texturing. What did, that's what this yeah. Zest Foundation piece did, right? Because they showed it could work in a modern way. It showed it could use trim sets. You're totally right. It showed that it could build a map in Unreal and bake the lighting and do all those things, right? You're communicating, you know those techniques yeah you need to you need to show all those techniques you know and of course the person who's looking at your work will understand all right this person can can understand baking very well Mm -hmm. because of course you need to also which is of course recommended to also post videos of your render of their environments Mm -hmm. in the engine as well because it shows how you optimize it with the vfx and all that stuff 
Mm -hmm. and like you know sculpting hand painting texturing trim sheets like you know working with substance designer mm -hmm. is most places is a plus these days mm -hmm. but of course if you even know the basics of that is going to be a huge plus because it's a headache of a software yeah and uh getting it's like really hard to master at first but when you get yeah. the hang of it the libraries it can get it could really differentiate you basically that's great you said because i just formulated in my mind something that i noticed uh, usually when people ask me like, oh, how do I get a job in Brazil? I saw two different personalities in average. Like one is the person that doesn't know anything and they think that they're amazing. Like we were saying, right? Like, oh yeah, get me a job. Just give me a chance. I'll be amazing. But they like, they still don't know modeling. They don't know, you know, like anything. And then the other people that are like, eager and they like look i want to add value i want to join the team and i want to learn you know i want to help the team those are the people that get hired because it's a team project it's a teamwork you know it, your personality counts if you're like the lone wolf that works by yourself cool that could work in some teams you know you have to be really good but like who wants to have someone that like don't know how to do anything and you know, and, and they think that they're so special that other people will teach them. You know, so that shows like a mindset that this person yeah. needs to look into. Yeah, exactly. And um, also, what are you working on right now? Now that you can tell us about it. I mean, of course, I already mentioned in the introduction, you're a world mm -hmm. artist, I think, director in, in a... Project, oh, project of 100 thieves yeah of course i assume a lot of things are under nda but yeah there's uh, some stuff that's public already so this was a oh nice a very uh interesting uh opportunity that came my way and i had to take it so i actually heard from this job about from someone who got the tutorial so he's actually a programmer so he got the tutorial and he he's a programmer. He he also makes some art and stuff. He he can make the full like he can make full games by himself. And he was at Activision before, like super experienced. So he was working with hundred tips, and they were like starting to you know like build a team. And he was like, oh, you 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 have to talk to this guy because he knows about workflows. You know, like he's gonna set you guys up to success. And that's how I got. Like, that's how I heard about this opportunity. Because the Tips, they're not a game company. They are like a lifestyle company. An eSports organization, basically, I think. Yeah, like eSports, but they also have like a like a apparel line. Uh, they have like an energy drink. They have a company called High Grounds that makes like really cool mechanical keyboards. And it's a really interesting place. And so I started talking to them and at first I was very skeptical, you know, I was always very skeptical about like esports and stuff. And, but then I was like, wow, these people are awesome. You know, they're really cool. And they have a really good idea here, you know, like in terms of how to build the team. And the thing is they have a lot of content creators that if you go to the hundred tips channel, you know, they have like a lot of content creators. They're creating all kinds of contents. And they also have the pro players. They have like professional teams on Valorant, uh, like Fortnite, like uh, League of Legends. So they were like, okay, let's build a team to make a shooter. 
you know, and we we have the content creators and we have the pro players here. So this is our QA. So it's been a really cool experience so far. Like I'm really loving it. The team is very small. Like right now we are only three full-time developers. And um, like we have the playtest at the compound in LA, like once a month, usually we go there and, you know, and then we invite creators to play or like pro players and they're giving all this feedback about like, oh, the shooting here is not so good or, you know, like, or I would like to see this in a game and it's a very unique place. And that's what I was looking for. I didn't, I didn't want to just go to another company and just make art because I already do that. So like it's, I know I can do it. But how about this, you know, like taking everything I learn and be there in the product from like ground up, you know, like that's an awesome challenge. And I also believe that like when you have a job, you, you should get a job where you connect to people, you connect to the mission, you connect to the company culture, you know, and and it's like on the tips, like from the beginning, I just loved everyone I met and I loved the mindset. And I was like, okay, we are on the same page here, you know? So uh, things flow. All right. Awesome. And by the way, uh, there, we only have two questions remaining. Don't worry. I'm sure, mm. you know, uh, you, we already mentioned about All right. Half, I, need, but... I need to pee really bad soon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, if you want, we can take a break right now, mm. and you, you know, you can we can oh, come back. Wait, in the I can hold. We can sure, we can awesome. see. All right. So, by the way, for anyone who's listening to at this point, please leave in the comment section down below. Leave a app, red apple emoji because I want to know who you are. You know, if you're listening <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I I'm, I may or may not. You know, yeah, reward <laughs> give some sort of reward. Like you know, I don't, I'll think of something. You know, but. Yeah, just the red apple emoji. The red okay. apple emoji for now, and we'll talk later. Yes. And all right. So aside from art, you know, what area besides art are you interested to explore and learn? Like you know, pursuing the future. Basically, what other mm-hmm. hobbies or ambitions which are non-art related you have? Uh, I think most of the things I do, they all end up going back to game development. You know, that's my passion, my mission. So. Um, yeah, it's like now I got this TV with a Saturn and play all these games I never played before and also trying to understand like how they were made, what's the creative process, what are the techniques they use, why those games are so fun and a lot of the new games are not so fun for me. Uh, the VR uh, development is also something I'm very passionate about. The Spanish style, I'm going to release a VR version. <laughs> Uh, hopefully very very soon it's almost done uh just need to make like a loading screen like those little details to finalize a product uh but yeah like i my goal in the future is you know like to have my own home you know like grow my trees grow my plants you know like build a family and just live a good life you know and take it as it comes like new interests show, show up and it's like new technologies are going to show up and you know and i want to stay at the top of my game so i want to keep learning getting better you know like i don't want to become a dinosaur 20 years from now you know 20 years from now i want to be in the same mode that i am now of like learning and trying to stay on the cutting edge you know like what's new but also using the simple techniques that work yeah and 
Well, 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 we've reached the final question and section of the podcast, which is called Time Capsule. And actually, just a fun fact, the longest ever podcast was two hours and 44 minutes. Oh, so, yeah. so we're pretty close. Yeah, we got pretty close, yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, so, all right. So I think it's kind of self, like self-explanatory what mm. the time capsule could be. But all right, let me explain what the scenario is. Mm. Imagine... The answer to this section you're going to give mm. is going to be like recorded in a time capsule and any mm. people from the future at any point of time will or can and will listen to it. Mm. So it could be 10 years from now, 100 years or 1000 years, who knows, you know, mm. who knows when digital archaeologists will dig my podcast. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> and who there was a podcast who basically seven people per it's episode will listen to. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, Basically, from an, from a human to another human being, what do you have mm. to say to anyone who might be listening to this po- podcast at this point? I would say we just, it's the most like basic thing that we all know intuitively, but sometimes we don't listen. It's like always going to that place of love, you know, and it's like the place where you feel good, the place where other people feel good, you know, like how can we get to a place where you know the environment's healing where our minds are healing you know like when we use less and make more like we make more with less right like we grow our own food you know so we don't we are not so dependent on you know the system you know uh but also this is a very special time that we're living right now very unique time where all the knowledge You know, like most of the knowledge of the world is accessible at your fingertips. And how are you using the time, right? There's a lot of traps that are being set for us now, like the social media trap we talked about before, like all these distractions, right? Like how can we use this tool to go to a next level personally? Because I think that if we work on ourselves, we become better people, the world is going to become better. Because the world is what we believe it is. And if we believe it's a dark place, it's violent and stuff, that's what we are going to create. You know, but if we believe that, look, it's a transition phase we are and we are going to evolve, we're going to get better, that's what we are going to have in the future. So, yeah, I just want to say it's a very special time to be alive. I'm very happy I'm alive at this time. You know, uh, there's a lot of good things happening, even though there's always bad things happening. Uh, But yeah very unique we have like an amazing opportunity here to you know like build like great things and i'm gonna work hard for that that's where i align myself you know trying to go away from the negativity from the things that are not enhancing myself and others and you know like trying to make my make up my own mind about things and change my assumptions if I have to and I don't know I'm just rambling here <laughs> no 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 that's great that's actually such a good point that um, basically the main thing that I personally agree with you like of course I agree with the whole message but the main thing that I can mm-hmm. that I think is really important is that um, because of the news and social media and everything mm-hmm. and it's not a new thing by the way and it's not because of social yeah. media like it's always been like this in history yeah <laughs> Like, you know, they always try to fear monger and control yeah. people by fear. And yeah. it's an 
place like those are enemy that's enemy yeah. tribe. that's enemy nation that's enemy thing you know exactly so, and yeah they kind of distract us from what's life is really about mm-hmm. it's just embracing the journey and see you know where it leads but hey yeah they uh, make them people do weird stuff too you know like yep attack friends and in like a like i notice you probably noticed this too after the last two or three years you know after everything that happened that some people change it in a very weird way and like they see you as an enemy if you don't believe in what they believe you know like it's like they're not themselves anymore you know like it's the, not a new thing it's just a, the thing you're it describing was accelerated is kind of, right yeah Ideologues. It was, yeah it was surprising to me just to to me to see how people change it in a very weird way like to the point where i don't recognize the person anymore and i'm like i don't know you you used to be so nice and you know what happened like why you're so bitter now like why you're so hateful like why you're so unacceptable and that i think that's a phase you know but i hope that we can all like learn together you know like how can we better together like what are the things i did wrong what are the things you did wrong and how we can do better together and that will not come from the top it will come from us it will not come from the media it will not come from government it will not come from the companies quite the opposite this will come from each one of us you know like little by little we are gonna get to this place and look we're all humans we make mistakes right all the time and we believe in wrong things and you know it's totally okay to change the mindset to change you know like we should be evolving right improving yeah and i guess in a sense that's the whole point of life evolution mm-hmm. and um to be honest yeah what you're describing is actually ideologues we're close-minded you know mm-hmm. and the weird thing is you know as soon as you disagree with them or don't mm-hmm. take the same sense as them they quickly assume you're on the opposite side of them yeah. oh you're not a democrat you're 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 yeah. republican oh you, you listen to jordan peterson you must be like, like this <laughs> or you listen yeah. to that person or that person like when they I'm, run into someone like this now i just I like oh, okay, okay, cool. You know, like I, I don't engage page. because if you engage, exactly. you, you increase that behavior. Yeah. But then if you leave them be, like hopefully, they come to their senses. And there is a phrase I remember now that people usually people go mad in groups, but they come back to their senses individually. Oh, that's such you know? a... yeah. Because humans, by nature, are like you know, pretty social, you know, yeah. creatures, tribal creatures, you know. There's always some craziness happening, right? Like witch yeah. hunts in the Middle Eastern, like crusades, tulip bubble, you know, like there's always the popular madnesses, right? But uh, I think we are here in this earth to improve, to get better. Yeah, exactly. It's a school, and, you know. Yeah, and let's make this place better because in next life, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whenever we end up, wherever we end up, is going to be a nice place as well. Yeah. Equalize opportunities. That's I yeah. think should be a good model. Yeah, and I agree. with that being said, this was actually one of the most interesting and you know thoughtful episodes out of all episodes awesome. I've done. Like, thank you so much, Ramsey. It was a great time. Pleasure. So, yeah, pleasure. Let's stay in touch. You're awesome guy. Of was awesome conversation. Really enjoyed it. 100%. And where can people contact you if they had any questions? Is your Instagram account okay? Uh, uh, sure. Like Instagram, Twitter, my website, I think has all the links. Email. So yeah. Yeah. Go to my website and you're going to find there is a Tiago Klefki.com. 
Yeah, I put the link in the description. Yeah. 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 From there, you can find all this stuff. And that's about it. Thank you again so much for coming by. And thank you to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you to anyone watching. Don't forget the red apple emoji. (laughs) And it doesn't matter on Castbox, YouTube, Instagram. I'll I'll check them. Trust me. Don't worry. And um, with that being said, take care. Stay safe. And until next episode. Thank you so much, Brentin. Bye bye. Good luck with the podcast. See you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.